And so, and so she's to, she says, she says, we can all at least agree that the third film is the worst. But, but, oh. Let's think about that. It's the sixth film. <laughs> oh, God. What the hell have you lot gotten yourselves into choosing oh. to listen to this? Welcome to the big damn cast. Nerdy news, mm. geeky gossip. Stuff that's fit to fill your time before the inevitable New Mutants 2 is not released. Um, I, I, uh, <laughs> I can't wait. I am uh, Chris... Uh, but in the Munich circus, they called me the Incredible Johnson. I have been known as many names. Elohim. <laughs> Ra. And the other one I can't remember. En Sabineur. Um, oh, is that it? Is that yeah. is that all the names you've been known by Apocalypse? Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's all. I am En Sabineur. Um I'll take anyway. it. To be fair, the shape of your beard is already way more accurate to what Apocalypse's face looks like in the comics because you have actual kind of lines because of your beard. You don't look like they've just sort of colour-corrected Ivan Ooze with a blue shade (laughs) in Photoshop. We'll get to Ivan Ooze later. God, we'll get to that. Um, We are here, as you can probably tell from the thumbnail and the the, the quality bombs, to talk (laughs) about uh, the next chapter in our ongoing (laughs) X-Men retrospective, our X-Membrance series uh, where we've been watching all those films back in chronological order. More like um, rectumspective. Hello! <laughs> uh, but first, a couple of bits of news. So, we're going to talk about one particular news item that's gone on in the middle. Well, we'll touch on a couple. Basically, there's a couple of shit bags that the media's highlighted this week, and we're going to talk what? about them. Um, we're also uh, going to talk about uh, WandaVision uh, and our weekly WandaVision roundup. There will be spoilers, but because we're going to do it early in the episode. We'll try and keep the spoilers to a not 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 so much a minimum, but we won't dive in too much, just in case you do happen to be listening to this in the background whilst crying into the void, like we all are nowadays. So, and don't have a skip button to hand, but I'll pop a time code in the description if you want to skip past one division and get straight to the X Men. So, look out for that if you want to avoid any spoilers. And then we're going to talk about X Men: Days of Future Past, Deadpool, and X Men: Apocalypse. Um. But first, hey, Matt. Hey, Chris. You know how Harry Potter fans must have felt when their sort of beliefs and suspicions were completely confirmed that J.K. Rowling was a piece of shit in the most, like, loud, proud, and uh, unavoidably, obviously true way? Must have felt awful. Yeah. So my favourite TV show is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And for years... Blood control. I've seen blood control for years. For years, my um, my uh, a sort of admiration for its creator, Joss Whedon, has been very much like left behind, cause stories and rumors over the last sort of fifteen years have come out that he's not a very nice individual. Capped off with some more solid um discussion about four years ago when his ex-wife made a point of saying, "Yeah, dude, cheat on me multiple times with uh." extras and and supporting actors in the set um he's also a shitbag uh and his entire thing of being a uh you know a feminist icon is is bullshit because he does not practice what he preaches and it was like oh god that sucks and then he leaves the 
Marvel Cinematic Universe. He was work. He worked on Avengers, which again. And here's the thing: people will get this confused going forward. But whenever we refer to these problematic uh, shitbags, sorry, artists, um, you can discuss the work that they do and acknowledge that this guy is a brilliant writer, a pretty decent director, uh, and has been a a, a very fun, you know, a, a a show, someone who created a show running format that has inspired and helped kickstart so many other shows within the sci-fi and fantasy genres since using that as a baseline. The work he has done is great. That does not excuse the person he is. And, um, and what a person that is. And what a person that is, because he leaves the MCU and there's rumors of creative differences. And at the same time, Edgar Wright leaves the Ant-Man uh, production you sort of get this sense that all oh, maybe kevin feige and their team are butting heads with the directors and their creative angles and stuff a bit but then edgar writes a bit more open about it and talks about how like no it's just they wanted to do one thing and they they basically we'd conceived an ant-man movie and they brought it into their mcu project as the rights went back to them and they were like we want to work with you guys you've been working so hard on it like uh, 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 joe cornish and, and edgar wright have been working so hard on the screenplay for forever and it's like we want to work with you guys and obviously it just didn't gel with the plan no. they had. So they left it like half of the story sort of still intact, which is why you'll see the credits. The credit for the script is Peyton Reed and then story by Peyton Reed, Paul Rudd, uh, Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish because it's an amalgam of two treatments of that film. Yeah. But Edgar Wright has since basically made the point of like, yeah, it wasn't nice because it was my baby for eight years. But the reason we parted is because like, they own the rights and they had a plan and our plan wasn't the same as their plan and we tried to see if it could work and it didn't so i, I left and it's like okay uh, so it's more of a heartbreak it's more of a Guillermo del toro situation of heartbreak and oh god joss whedon said that there was stuff like that going on when he left after age of ultron he said that um he wanted to include the more human moments of clint at the farm and stuff about Nat going into like her own personal demons, and the studio didn't want that. They wanted to set up for future franchise stuff. They wanted to really over it. They, they were like, you put in this scene of Thor bathing and hallucinating about stones, <laughs> or, or we cut the farm from the film and things like that. And Age of Ultron is is like, what you know, one of the things people remember fondly about it is like, the reveal of Clint having a family and 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 the farm stuff and and the, the 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 quiet time it gives the characters there to interact and sort of really play off of the tensions between them and everything. Um, and we also remember the fucking really poorly poorly handled Natasha stuff in there. I mean, everything with with Black Widow slash Natasha in that film is yeah like, bad. You can see what kind of thing they want to do. She's the but... bartender at the party, Chris. What? See, I never thought of that. I thought like it's just the end of the night and she's hanging out behind the bar pouring herself a drink. She pours one for Bruce. That's what I thought it was. It's the op- the optics of it are bad, though. It's still not great. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, especially because you don't see any other staff. So it's like, wait, is she is she legit? Yeah. Oh, no. Um, and there's so much and it doesn't work. Like, there, there, is, there is a way to tell a story about herself seeing herself as a monster, but really focusing in on the part of her backstory where they remove her ability to conceive children being why she thinks that is like, oh my God, no. Yeah, she thinks that makes her a monster, not the amount of murder she's done. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Like you could, you could, you could bring that in as part of the whole thing of 
I was put through all of this shit to become a mon to become just a monster. I'm not allowed attachments. I'm not allowed family. I'm not allowed to start things in my own world. I'm just been pointed at things to kill them. I'm a monster. Like you could do, you know what I mean? You could make that thing of I've been just completely transformed into a weapon. But that's not how it's played out. That's not how it's written. It's not how it feels. It's not how it came across. Yeah. It comes across as I can't have children. I'm a monster. And like millions of women around the world are going, are you fucking kidding me? Like, oh my God. So after he said, well, I kind of left with your creative differences, you then see stuff like that and you go, that was the stuff you fought to keep in. That's weird. That's really weird. I can't imagine anyone felt comfortable about that. And actors involved in that film have since alluded to not feeling comfortable with the material in certain places throughout the film. Then we have the Justice League reshoots. Joss Whedon comes in to finish off the Justice League reshoots. Um, and Ray Fisher, since the release of that movie, a couple of years later, puts out a statement saying Joss Whedon and a few others treated him like shit. Um, we're making a lot of very casually racist jokes and, and there were people enabling it and thinking it was totally fine. Not every actor comes out well, it's weird. Some of the actors come out to go, I stand with, with Zack Snyder and him getting to bring his vision around. Only one other central cast member went, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, forget that for a minute. I'm backing up Ray Fisher here. There was some shit on that set and that's Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa went like, yeah, I'm standing with Ray. That's and he's funny. never been an actor that's afraid to like rock the boat. But it does make you wonder, Henry, Ben, Gal, Ezra, you yeah. piece of shit. Like, are you going to say anything? at all and also there's that weird that weird conflation of there are people who adamantly wanted the snyder cut of the justice league who have decided because ray says joss is a horrible person that that's more fuel toward their fire and it's like no that's not the point to be made you're all losing sight of the fact that apparently at the very least verbal abuse was a regular occurrence during those reshoots to the yeah. point where an actor is staking his career on talking about it yeah investigations opened investigations delayed investigation eventually gets fired back up because ray fisher helps stoke public you know awareness of it and then cyborg is oh for editing reasons dropped from the upcoming flash movie despite it being the only other contracted film ray fisher was signed on for to play cyborg after his solo film was uh put, taken away there's mm. no justice league sequel currently planned so it's like, okay, this is interesting. They're trying to silence him. And a, a bunch of directors and, and producers and writers have said, like, oh, God, no, we're going to work. We are going to work with you. Like, we're absolutely going to work with you on stuff. Like, this, it's, this, is, not, this is nonsense. Like, it's, it's been so reaffirming to see that um, like after things like, for example, like last year with the, the BLM marches in London, yeah. and John Boyega made yeah. a very big stand during that. And, and like part of it says, I don't even care if I don't have a career after this. Uh, this needs to be said. And so many, again, directors, producers went like, no, don't you worry. Like, we got you. <laughs> it's like, we're not going to yeah. let the system bury you just because you're talking about social injustice and, and systemic racism. Like, we're not going to let you disappear because of that. Too fucking right. Um, and it seems like a similar thing's happening with Ray Fisher, which is reassuring. It was solidified like crazy this week when Charisma Carpenter, yeah, and uh, the star of uh, of Angel and one of the one of the ensemble cast of Buffy, um, who we'd heard things about over the years, and she never really went into them. It was more a case of timeline, yeah, of, of things happening. Charisma well, Carpenter we got kind of preg knew pregnant that during Angel. Yeah, there was a shitty thing going on with when she got pregnant during Angel, and we knew that was shitty, mm. like the way she was treated. Uh, the way her character was treated and the writing and the way she was treated in terms of like 
being promised one thing and then being given another material wise. And, so we uh, knew that there was some friction yeah. behind the scenes when she left. But now we know that she was basically written out because she didn't fit Joss's perfect little story that he wanted to plan out. Her getting pregnant. When an actor gets pregnant on a on a network show, uh, Boys and Girls, yes. where the production cycle is like nine to ten months of the year making this product, if, if an actor gets pregnant, then what normally happens is they'll inform the producer, they'll inform their bosses when, when they feel ready and they'll let them know because it's courtesy with the with the employers for them to be like, oh, yeah, shit, okay, so we either need to write this in or we need to shoot around it or maybe we time your leave at a certain time and write the character out for a bit and then we'll get you back in at this time or maybe if they organically go, maybe we'll just call it a day. Let's, let's wrap up the character's arc here. or you know They work together to either continue the employment, wrap up the employment or figure out where the break is for them to go be heavily pregnant, go give birth and be on maternity leave. What's that, Gillian? You're pregnant? All right, Scully's just going to get abducted yeah. <laughs> for a few episodes. <laughs> and we're going to have you sitting down a lot in the other ones. Yeah. Was it Wonder Woman? The entirety of Wonder Woman's reshoots were spent with Gal Gadot being seven months pregnant. Yeah. Which is, and you know, several of those shots are in the movie. That's very pregnant. Yeah. Several of those shots are in the movie, but you'll never know. You'll never know where they are because they planned it. They were like, right, here's how we shoot around it. Here's how we do that. Like, there are scenes of her in costume in the Wonder Woman outfit that was shot with her heavily pregnant. And they did some like CGI trickery and they did a lot of camera trickery. And it was like, that's genius. Like to make sure that your, you know, (laughs) your, your, your employee effectively, your employee's choice to create life and a family outside of their work does not impede on the work in a way. Like it's, it's, you know, it, it does not, um, one does not should affect, be able. Does not affect the working relationship because someone who's in charge decides they have an issue with it. It's one should like, be able to directly yeah. influence the midichlorians to create life. To <laughs> create life. Um, Do it. So, Chris McCarpenter gets pregnant, and according to the statement she's put out, and the reason she's put the statement out is she's like, I've, I'm seeing what's going on with Ray Fisher, and it's disgusting, and I, I, it's taken me 20 years to kind of come to terms with the things that happened to me, because you kind of make excuses for them for the longest time. So yeah. eventually you're like, as, no. as people do, like, yeah. especially in that industry, because mm. um, it's so dependent on your reputation and the way other people view you. You don't want to rock the boat. No. And, and, and very powerful people who do horrible things stay employed because they make money for the corporations. And it's, it is that thing where either they keep it quiet enough that no one finds out, and they, yeah. they play on the, they they play their power above the people working underneath them, or um, it's known within the company, but it's easier for the company as a whole to get rid of the person who's being preyed on and shut them up and shut them out always than it is to get rid of the person making them the money. So gross capitalism, ew. But um, but capitalism works in our favor in our next story. We'll get to that. Uh, so, <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's, that's the laugh of a man who knows where the mouse's money isn't going anymore. So Always. She revealed that she she revealed that when she finally got to tell Joss she was pregnant after weeks of trying to get in touch with him, um, his first words to her that he insisted they have a private meeting, 
they did, and his first words to her were, are you going to keep it? That's just unbelievably That's shitty. That's horrible. But it started to match up with other stories now, because now we know yeah. that she was indeed written out shoddily on purpose because he felt annoyed about it. Amber Benson, who played Tara on Buffy uh, for four seasons, came yep. forward and said, like, well, three seasons, spoilers, came <laughs> forward and said, um, you know, like, I you know, I absolutely stand by charisma. The atmosphere on that set was her- horrific. Uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar has put out a statement saying, Buffy Summers will always be close to my heart and a big part of who I am, but I do not wish to associate with Joss Whedon any longer. Yeah. I stand with charisma. And it's like, okay. Uh, James Masters... Um, a couple of days ago, put a thing out saying like, you know, it, it's like all that joy being created for people doesn't make it right. Like mm. what happened, and it should be highlighted and discussed. I stand with charisma. It's like good. You um, did. You did also write a creepy song about Michelle Trachtenberg, though. Yeah, James, so. but he also he also he also has an abuse story about Joss that he talked about on Michael Rosenbaum's podcast a little while yeah, ago. There is where that. Joss like Spike was getting popular uh, during season two. And the plan was for Spike to be written out at the end of season two completely. And Joss basically pulled him up against a wall and threatened him. Yeah. Because he was annoyed at how popular Spike was getting. Because again, the way these shows work, 10 months of production, your first like 12 episodes go out while you're working on the last 10. Just Joss Whedon having a totally normal one. And at the time, like James Master sort of took it as like, oh, okay, that's, oh, bloody hell. I guess he's really passionate about where the story's going to go. And then obviously he changed his mind because at the end of the series, Spike runs Mm. away. And and returns later, but um, he's he's like he's now said like yeah that was it was abuse it was physical abuse he was yep holding me up against the wall because he was pissed that my character was popular like what um Anthony Stewart Head was on this morning the other day and he talked about it and he he said he was the first male cast member to make a statement about it the first well a lot the, the way it was being framed a lot was why have none of the male cast members spoken out yeah but really it wasn't why have none of the male cast members spoken out it was why have only the victims spoken out so yeah far? yeah um and and in turn like obviously some of the support like Sarah Michelle Gellar's not implied anything was done to her per se and neither Amber Benson but like they immediately stood by charisma and were like yeah oh, we need to um, although Michelle Trachtenberg did also show solidarity with Charisma Carpenter and revealed yeah. that there was a rule on the set hmm. that she was not to be left alone with Joss Whedon what um Michelle it, yeah implying the- that there was something else that might have gone on but that's all she'll say about it. Oh, sh- well, I guess for the sake of legality, you can only say a certain amount at yeah. this point. Keeping in mind, folks, that when she started on the show, she was 15 years yeah. of age. Um, there was okay. a rule on set that she was not allowed to be alone with Joss. Fuck. Oh, God. Uh, Anthony <laughs> had what? Anthony the actual has, fuck. Yeah, Anthony Head has said he wasn't aware there was stuff going on, but this is, I'm paraphrasing, he says, I wasn't aware there was stuff going on, but this is not me saying I didn't see anything, so can't have been real. I absolutely believe charisma, um, and it speaks volumes that uh, to like the levels of uh, respect and 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 whatnot that were being given. That he, the elder statesman of the cast, the mm. the white guy, the, the white straight elder guy, was being kept unaware of it. Yep. Almost like if he'd have found out, he would have kicked up a stink about it 
or they were playing more to him like oh it's fine yeah, it's all right it's just he, he, he says it's he's grow he's it the word he used was he was gutted like he's absolutely gutted that he also didn't if, if this was happening that the cast didn't feel comfortable discussing it with other cast members at the time yeah because that shows how rooted it was and he, and he said like i've reached out to to as, as many of my friends from the show and said like if if you need me to fight your corner if you need me to help corroborate stuff let me know and it's like oh yay once again giles is not a scum i think anthony stewart head has, has shown time and time again that he's a he's a good one. he's a good guy uh people asking where's nick brendan probably still on parole uh, yeah god um, knows nick brendan has not had a a good time of things since leaving buffy <laughs> Um, I again, it also depends on how long they were around the set and stuff. It's not like every cast member has to come out because not every cast member would have dealt directly with Joss yeah. per se. Yeah. But uh, I do kind of, for the sake of my own sanity, it's like Seth Green. Can you say something soon, please? Alison <laughs> Hannigan hasn't said anything. Alison Hannigan, yeah. Uh, at uh, Emma Caulfield Ford. Um. Yeah, of course. It's like, come on, guys, just. Say something, because I know some other cast members have, have suggested over the years as well. Um, the, the the you know it was not a, a good plan. I mean, David Boreanaz, dude, he's wiped his Instagram. David Boreanaz, yeah. Do you think that's him going like I can't deal with all this, or, I, or just not wanting to engage with it? That's upsetting. at all. A simple statement. I mean, it's what Sarah Michelle Gellar's done. She put a simple statement out, statement of intent on an Instagram story post. Like, here's where I feel. And that's oh, oh, that's worrying. It is. It is Ooh, worrying. Oh, that's really worrying. Like, is it still there? Is the account still there? Uh, I think so. I believe he's. I'll have a um, quick look. I'll have a quick look. I'll, I'll, sorry, I'll get it. Um, I believe he's just wiped it. Yeah, because the timing I think, is. Because too... I think people were bombarding him, being like, "When are you going to talk about it? When are you going to talk about it, David?" Um, and yeah, he's just. Yeah. yeah, he's got uh, he's, he's he's got a promo for the next series of uh, Seal Team. Seals, Seal Team, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Oh dear. Okay. I mean, it could be. It could just be that like he himself underwent trauma on the set, and he's just sort of he's not ready to talk, and it's just a bit much in one go. Yeah, I just like um, not wanting to get involved. It's it's, which... it's, ups- it's upsetting that that might be the better reason for this. Yeah. Because that still it's... means that abuse was he suffered abuse on the set, but like, oh god, it's not great. It's oh, I've just realised some Alison Hannigan's husband is Alex Dezinoff. Oh, who's, who's been a collaborator with Joss on a lot of stuff like the Avengers yeah. and, and 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 his uh, much ado and oh no, god damn it. Okay, well. Long story short, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is still probably going to be my favourite TV show, but probably one I won't revisit as often. It's one of those things you have to go back to. It's going to be a while. Yeah. It does. I mean, my my view of Joss Whedon's entire oeuvre at this point is sort of tainted by the knowledge Mm. that he's a massive prick. Yeah. Um... I, th- so, I think, I think may- maybe maybe I'm just a little too deeper into Buffy that I'm sort of at the the Harry Potter level of it where it's like it's bigger eh. than it's bigger than him to me because I you know what I mean like I read so many so many books of it growing up from different authors and and like it you know it was for me it was the magazine reading the interviews with the cast and yeah like that. It's, I think for me it feels like a bigger thing but if we learn that it's so interwoven 
into the show's DNA, then it's gonna it's gonna take a while for me to sort of come and back I think and revisit that. I, I've definitely noticed that there are like sort of common elements in Joss Whedon's work that I feel uncomfortable about that crop up in um in across a number of his things that I'm just like uh, like he's a, he's a, he's very big on sexual assault as background story for women. Yeah, uh, yeah, not, like not it's in, kind of not in his early stuff, but then it it becomes it, it kind of becomes like a central theme that he goes to is like any character he wants to create, any female character he wants to create drama for, it's, he goes back to the sexual assault thing. Post resurrection Buffy, yeah, Faith, it's just um, Inara, like that is it. well, um, and also like the the. The whole plan storyline he had for Firefly of, of a bunch of dudes assaulting Inara and then being found dead because she's poisonous. Like it 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 just speaks of a Yeah. There's a yeah. there's a yeah. sort of uh, a way of looking at female characters that is not it's uncomfortable to say the least. And it's also extra um, gross because what Buffy did so well was it took these real life horrors and re envision them through the supernatural occurrences of the episodes so for one of those things to not have that allegorical bent yeah and just be very plainly sexual assault it's like that's weird it's weird that that's the one you keep coming back to yeah and it's it's just because you you could tell you could tell that story without it being that story through the allegorical framework of the show. That's yeah, the gift of what the so. show is. And that so much of that first three seasons is like what it's like to be a teenager and become an adult and face you know, face these different things. Things like to do with responsibility, relationships, uh, to do with like you know, even just things like sexually transmitted diseases, things like that. Like but it was told allegorically through the monster of the week concept and things like that. Mm. I mean the whole concept of the vampire thing is is being violated. Do you know what I mean? Like of being preyed yeah. on, so you can. It, that's what made the show work because it was real life horrors packaged as something else. But then the real life horror of sexual assault keeps cropping up, and you could tell that allegorically in a way that doesn't stand out and is more about like telling that story without telling that story, and yet that being the one recurring. It's that is, yeah. But then also look at Dollhouse. <clears throat> Dollhouse as a a show makes me extremely uncomfortable. What's the basic premise for those who don't know? Because I I remember reading up on episode one and going, I don't think this one's for me. I love Elijah Dushky, but I don't think this one's for me. The basic premise of Dollhouse is that there is a technology that exists which allows you to erase and rewrite people's personalities and memories and all that stuff. So there is an organisation which hires out dolls, which are men and women, although they mostly focus on the female ones, who have had their personalities removed. So they sort of regress to a childlike um, demeanour. But then when they are hired for certain jobs, they have relevant personalities imprinted on them. Right, so it's like it's... it's the idea is like deep undercover sort of spy yeah. thing, but it's they don't like, know they're we, undercover. We, we like create they... we create the spy for the situation. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the the lead character Echo is Eliza Dushku is one of these dolls, and it's sort of the episodic nature of the show sees her on different jobs taking on different roles. 
That's the basic premise of Dollhouse, and it's right. just weird. It's does it does it become about weird. the dolls starting to learn more and more about what's happening to them, thinking this is wrong and trying to fight against it? Or in the, in the backstory of the show, there is a doll named Alpha who went rogue, right? Um, and fucks some shit up and like becomes the primary antagonist of at least the first season. Uh, the show only is- got two seasons, and he had to compress a lot of what he'd planned for later seasons into season two. Um, but the just the whole premise of the show is just odd. They're the antagonists? Like, surely they should be the protagonist, somebody who broke out of this and wants to break it down from the outside. Because this is the plot of a supervillain organization. Like it just like the premise of the show is just rewriting women's personalities. Yeah. To be what you need them to be. Yeah. And I, it just makes me uncomfortable. Do you know what else makes people uncomfortable, Matt? Um Damp toilet seats. Yes, but also <laughs> cancel culture. Oh, oh no! It's an epidemic. The left keep weaponizing cancel culture to get rid Not of our voices. Says the right. Cancel culture. Cancel culture is not real because. <laughs> uh, you know it isn't. Well, it isn't real because. It's fucking cancel culture is the belief, from at least from the right perspective, when it comes to media and politics, that people will right gang wing, up on not them. Right, right wing, correct? Yeah, people yeah. will gang up on them and get them fired for their beliefs. But here's the thing: anytime those beliefs are challenged, anytime an employer fires them for the expressing those beliefs, it's usually because those beliefs are racist, anti-Semitic, homophobic, transphobic, nasty fucking pieces of conspiratorial shit. That's what it yeah. is. Um, the most common thing is they're trying to get me cancelled for my conservative views. What conservative views are that? Like, the deficit? No. <laughs> Second Amendment beliefs? No. no. Which which views are you talking about? Well, you know, the... Those you know, ones. The, 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 those ones. The, the ones from the... thing. It's, so you're racist, homophobic, transphobic ones. Okay, you sure. You know the no, ones. That's, uh, the next, the, the latest person to feel the wrath of having their voice silenced despite still having a giant platform to talk from um, <laughs> is Gina Carano. Um, Gina Carano mocked trans people a lot last year. Yes. And then when, you know, admitted there are people on the internet who don't approach correcting nasty sentiment from a place of politeness on the first go. Because it's passionate and something they're passionate about and something they're angry about, and I completely understand it. But, like, Gina Carano made some statements about pronouns. Someone asked her last year, are you going to put your pronouns in your bio? Which is just sort of seen as, you know, courtesy nowadays. Like, it's it's seen as sort of a courtesy to do so, because you're essentially going, hey, yeah. I myself, like in my case, I've, I've put them in my bios on my sites, and I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm not a trans individual, but if I normalize putting he, him, and a bio, then, you know, trans brothers and sisters will see that and go like, oh, thank you. Case like, in thanks point, for that. Gina Carano's Mandalorian co-star, Pedro Pascal. Yeah, Pedro Pascal put him in his bio. Um, his sister, I think she said last year she was uh, gender fluid and then she she came out as trans uh, like in yeah. the last couple of weeks. Uh, and Pedro Pascal's reaction apparently was, oh my God, that's amazing. Um and he's been super supportive of her, and that's brilliant. Gina Carano was asked about it last year, and she sort of made jokes about it, and then eventually gave in, unquote, and wrote 
like her pronouns were beep, boop, bleep, or something. Oh, like, fuck. oh for fuck's sake! Oh, like it would have been better if if she if she really was that kind of you know, like transphobic. Her not replying, her not putting the pronouns in the bio and just saying nothing about it, would have been the best course of action for her. Because yeah. then no one would have necessarily known she was transphobic. But people who have these views can't keep them to themselves. That's the thing. Well, that's the thing because she she said she she has said since she's not transphobic. She just hates how aggressive people get about it all. And again, that's what I'm what I'm saying. I understand why some defensive people fight back, like her. Because there would have been people who saw her make a light-eyed joke and responded, "Look, Gina, I understand you probably don't mean harm here, but like don't, you need don't to think of it this way." Yeah, Just... and then there'll be others who'll be like, "Fuck you! You fucking change me, you piece of shit!" Right away. So when you do that to someone who's defensive or or reflect, you know, re- uh, aggressively reactionary like she is, she's gonna react more with "No, fuck you!" Yeah. instead. And that's how what all she these did. Now that doesn't mean I'm saying that's not when I say I understand why that happened. I don't say like I understand why she took that decision. I'm saying no, I grasp why she did it. It still doesn't make it right for her to react that way. She has a platform and a responsibility. Um, it also, guys, if you ever re- immediately respond aggressively to someone outright, maybe don't like mm. before you hit send. Peel it back, reread, see if you can do it more politely. If they keep being a piece of shit, feel free to be like, right, well, fuck you then, and end the conversation. But mm. You know, because nine times out of ten, you're just poking a transphobic bear. Um, at the same time, I, as a as a you know cis white guy, don't necessarily have the same passion or anger, possibly having built up in me over decades of people denying my existence. So yeah, if I'm in the wrong, saying maybe approach it calm, calmly first time, tell me so, but please do it calmly. Um, but you know what I mean? It's like it's like they poked a bear. And she suddenly decided that every trans person on the internet was like the ones who immediately yelled back rather than tried to talk her through things. Or well, to this is the thing, though. I, I, I always find it hard to sort of get disapproving of people who are angry when they are from groups that have been mad. It's like people yeah. who are like, oh, you yeah. shouldn't... Like people who are criticising the Black Lives Matter protests for being too, quote-unquote, violent. I'm like, well, what the fuck do you expect? Mm. When you treat people like that, they are really? going to push back. But this is something Gina Carano, someone in her late 30s, should know. Now she should know that when people react, take a breath, read the responses, and if you agree, disagree, or, you know, whatever, make your response after that. Yeah. But she doesn't. Um, These people never do. So we know she's transphobic. In the lead up to Christmas, she started posting a shitload of anti-mask stuff and um, conspiracy theories around um, the vaccine mm-hmm. uh, for coronavirus. So, again, very, very irresponsible for a platform of her size to do that. And then last week, she makes an Instagram story post comparing people criticizing her conservative views to being a Jewish person in... <laughs> The Second World War being ratted out uh, by other Jewish people in exchange for favoritism with uh, the Third Reich, and she was basically saying like it's it's like it's like being a victim of the Holocaust, saying your conservative opinions because people just have a go at you all the time and make you feel scared and pressured and frightened. It's like, did you seriously just equate responses to you making a fucking tweet? 
with being a victim of the Holocaust. I, I think that's exactly what she did. And that's why she's been fired from The Mandalorian well, and Lucasfilm entirely. Well, you say fired, but I think we've actually got a similar situation to other um, famous transphobe who was uh, complaining about being fired for their transphobic views, Maya Forstar, hmm. who was a researcher whose contract was not renewed well, by her yeah. employer. But the the similarity being very public statement from the companies that had employed them to say, we're no longer working with this yes. person. This person because is not contracted with us and we have no plans to work with them in the future. Because here's the thing. Gina, apparently, and the source, the only source of this so far of this recording is John Campnia. Yeah. Somebody told him from the from the Disney side of things that Gina's reps so her her not necessarily her agent but her management for publicity and everything yeah and someone from Disney Lucasfilm had a sit down meeting with her in November because apparently in California people still gather from different households even if they're masked but it's like please stop um but they had a sit down meeting with her to say stop posting shit like this on social media because every time she did something controversial or upsetting or just genuinely harmful, and it gets reported on, it's reported on as Mandalorian star Gina Carano yeah. says this. So it reflects badly back on the product. That's one of the responsibilities of being part of a big thing. While I was with CBBC, for example, you didn't catch me posting like aggressively uh, nasty content in any way. You had a very I'd, clean I'd, Twitter. Yeah, like, you know, occasionally it'd be like a swear word to get through, but I'd be very mindful because, you know, it, it's you're still kind of representing that organisation to a point, even when you're not. Um, nowadays, not give as much of a shit. So, Gina is part of the Disney family, or was part of the Disney family. So every time she'd get mentioned in the news, they would refer to the Disney product that she's currently a part of. Yeah. Of course they would. So the reason why she's been dropped, let's face it, it's possible that there are people within Disney who are like, oh my god, I can't fucking believe she's this much of a piece of shit. We, we need, we're need, looking for a reason to get rid of her. Yeah. Because we can't just drop her, apparently. Ultimately, what got her fired was capitalism. Because her doing what she does will damage Disney's and Lucasfilm's bottom line. Like, it, it, will, it will harm them. So, they got rid of her. So she stops dragging the Mandalorian's name through the mud. Yeah. Um, Can we just not, Gina? Yeah. So, naturally, the far right of latched on... The same far right that uh, complained that she was a feminist piece of propaganda, SJW yep. propaganda, when she first appeared in The Mandalorian. So they were like, they won't allow women to be uh, pretty or beautiful. They have to be big, strong, masculine women. Like, shit you not Ben Shapiro said stuff like that <laughs> the same Ben Shapiro <laughs> who a day later after her firing <laughs> has started a production company with her <laughs> to make a film project that she's always wanted to write and direct now I'll remind you of a few things boys and girls Gina Carano is a 
She's a passable actor. She's yeah, not a particular yeah. talent. She's she's got a she's got a charm on on camera. There's a there's a, there's a charm to her. There's a charisma to her on camera. But most because like, because it, it comes from her showmanship from her from her um her, her fighting days. Like it's from yeah. the showmanship aspect of it all. And it's her, so, it's her physical presence really that yeah. makes her a, a screen presence. Hmm. Like we're going to talk about her later in this podcast. Deadpool, yeah. um, she's she's a she's a non-element in that, but she's a unique casting for a non-element part yeah. that makes it stand out a bit more. Yeah. Um, as Cara Dune, I quite like the character of Cara Dune. Um, the less of her, the better. Yeah. In terms of smaller doses, made the character more effective. Um, and you know that's that's kind of it. I think we said back in the day, like 2016, I was saying, in one of our earlier episodes, I was saying when we didn't know what Gal Gadot was going to be like yet yeah. for Wonder Woman, I was like, get get Gina Carano an acting coach and cast her. Yeah. Because she'd be great. Like, she already looks like an Amazon warrior. Like, mm. you know, let's, let's let's give it a try. Let's, let's, let's go against the norms and cast somebody who, who is of a bigger muscular build and, and play off of that. Um, boy, howdy, am I fucking glad she wasn't Wonder Woman. Um, <laughs> But uh, not least of all, because when Wonder Woman came out, I was like, oh, Gal Gadot is actually really good when directed by Patty Jenkins. I hope this lasts to be on one film. <laughs> um... <laughs> Did oh. not care for 1984 or her performance. Anyway. Oh, hindsight's um, a real fucker, isn't it? It is. But so she's teaming up with Ben Shapiro to make a film. She says that the fight against cancel culture is just beginning. Oh, which is which is creepy uh, because on, let's examine that. She says, "Yeah, the fight against cancel culture is just beginning." On a news source and a Twitter account, and Ben Shapiro's news source, so and this in- and this stuff is being repeated on multiple news sites at the same time. So, what is your definition of cancelled then? Oh, she's Matt, but Matt, she's been silenced. She told me on seventy-eight she's news told sites. Me she's been silenced. It's pathetic. <laughs> How dare Disney do this? Like, she's got freedom of speech, motherfuckers. Freedom of speech. Repeat after me: is not freedom from consequence. No, you can say whatever you want. That is your God-given right as an American. You can say whatever you want. But you know what happens after you say something? People say things back to you. And Mm. you have to deal with that. That's how that works. If you just want to yell out a a horribly nasty, offensive opinion and have no consequences, become that drunk who hangs out at the bus station screaming it through a traffic cone at people. And, and don't listen to when people tell you to sit down or be quiet or ask if you need help. Like, be, do you know what I mean? Be that. Be that. Because then no one's ever going to fight you again on your opinions ever again because they they won't come near you. They'll no. be like, Jesus, they seem dangerous. <laughs> don't put them out on Twitter or say them to the world when don't you know the world's going to reply. If J.K. Rowling had never started showing transphobic views we never would have known that she was transphobic and we all would have still thought of her as a hero i'm not saying i'm not saying nasty people should hide but i'm saying if they did we'd never know they were nasty i mean anyone who read (laughs) her coma and strike books would have gone oh this is a bit uncomfortable the horrid irony as well of jk rowling have an issue with trans women and yet 
using a male pen name. She uses a male pen name to sell her books for, for her detective novels because she feels like no one's gonna. And it's like, oh my god. Oh, it's nuts. <clears throat> it's uh, nuts. It is not. Oh. a great video about the various contradictions of J.K. Rowling. Yes, and her settings for that video are fucking brilliant. Uh, just, she's, no wonder they so take so long to produce because they're so well produced. <laughs> How much did it cost for that milk bath? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so <laughs> that gown would have been a nightmare to wash afterwards as well. Like the amount of milk bath it would have soaked into that clothing. But because it, it's just this it's this hilariously overly YouTube. decadent video <laughs> essay. It's bloody funny. Um, it's all the milk baths. <laughs> so oh god. Here's the creepiest thing. Gina Carano says the fight's just beginning. Three days later, President uh, former President Donald J. Cunt gets um acquitted. Because of course he does in his mm. impeachment trial. Because mm. only seven Republicans had a backbone. Um, and Which his fair, statement to the press. Think. Keep in mind, he's been silenced as well, apparently. Oh yeah, Donald Trump. Well, <clears throat> yeah. fucking hell. His statement to the press was, our fight is just beginning. Uh, f- for what? What are you fighting for, Donald? What is it you're fighting for? I just, I hate, I hate the world. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Uh, anyway, uh, on the uh, on the on the good news, is there any good news that's happened? We're recording this earlier than usual, folks, because you yeah. probably noticed it's a long episode. We're recording this earlier than usual, so more stuff's happened since we don't fucking know, we don't care. It's been we don't any know. good. It's been any good news? I don't fucking know. Well, there's been an episode of WandaVision we can talk about. Oh, that's a thing that happened and made me smile in my pants. Yeah. Spoilers for One Division. Look in the t- description for a time code to help you skip past this if you wish to avoid them and come back to it at a later time. Uh, so, uh, our, our Halloween spooktacular episode. <laughs> we, we arrive at the late 90s, early 2000s for this one. We sort of it, the, uh, the, the skipped credits, ahead a bit further. The opening credits are Malcolm in the Middle. The format Basically. is Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, uh, it's Malcolm in the Middle. There are many Scrubs-esque cutaway gags. As yeah, well. there's some scrub stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, but that's something that Scrubs is nicked off Malcolm for, in the middle. Yeah, for younger viewers, Scrubs is like Brooklyn Nine Nine, but in a hospital. Um, <laughs> so, and for older and, viewers, yeah. it's like ER, but half as long and twice as funny. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Um, uh, but I oh, there's some great stuff. So, the premise of this one is Uncle Pete's been living with him for a couple days. <laughs> Manchild uh, Uncle Pete. Manchild Uncle Pete playing full on into the tropes of, of, of the, you know, the kid brother comes back and raises some hell and is a bad influence to his to his nephews. They go all in on that. We begin the episode with Billy and Tommy addressing camera like Malcolm in the middle. Um, in their Halloween outfits, well, Tommy gets his later on and it's just a Quicksilver outfit, which is quite cute. <laughs> Billy's... Uh, uh, yeah, Billy's is it's Wiccan. It's the yeah. Wiccan costume. Yeah, because of course. And I'm just like, oh, are we? Whatever happens through all of this, I really hope that Wiccan and Speed show up later on in the the MCU as characters. Because I'd be so happy about that. That would be wonderful. There's, they're definitely, they'll definitely. <clears throat> if they're if they're doing Kate Bishop in the Hawkeye series, <clears throat> which they are, yeah. Yeah, we've seen it. Yeah, we've not seen the series. We've seen the photos. Then it would be, I feel foolish, not to seed the idea of Wicked and Speed. Get Miles Morales going. 
and uh, put them together with Hawkeye to mm. stick Miss Marvel in the team. And you can either call them Young Avengers or the Champions. I don't give a fuck, but I would watch the hell out of that uh, film. Ah, yeah. Um, they'll probably go for Champions because Young Avengers sounds like well, Champions. Baby. Young Avengers there, so. in the film universe sounds like Muppet Babies. Yeah, they, they'll they'll they'll. Uh... <laughs> They'll go with the champion's name because that's sort of what they've been marketing their sort of teenage heroes team as in the comics. And for bring a while in Hulkling now. and let's have a big gay wedding. Um, anyway, oh yes, I that's all I want. That's all I want. I want an MCU film centered around a big gay wedding, and merge it with uh, Hank and Janet's wedding from the comics and have the circus of crime attack. Anyway, the point is, <laughs> you would watch the fuck out of that, and you know you would. Oh my god, are you kidding me? You know I would. That'd be so cool. Um. <laughs> Even if it was just a big gay wedding, I'd watch the fuck out of it. <laughs> Superheroes um, need not apply. <laughs> my big, my big fat gay wedding. Okay, can it just sure. Be, let's can go. it just be a feature-length episode of Queer Eye, please? Fair enough. <laughs> Starring Wiccan and Hulkling. Like, when yeah, are we going to get Jonathan Van Ness in the MCU? <laughs> When's it going to happen? <laughs> so, um, they're in those outfits. When Pete gets changed, he's basically... like. What's great is Pietro... We're calling Pietro. I keep calling him Pete because of the films I've just watched. But, like, Pietro and Wanda and Vision all wear... <clears throat> well, Vision and Pietro wear, like, homemade kit-bashed versions of the characters' classic comic book outfits. Yeah. Wanda wears a ridiculously fucking comic-accurate version of the Scarlet Witch costume. Which just goes... To show how ridiculous the Scarlet Witch comics costume is. But at the same time, it's weirdly pleasing to see the actress who's been playing the Scarlet Witch for the last few years dressed just flat out in the comic book costume. Yeah. It's sort of adorable and cool and goofy. It's like, that is... And, and like, the explanation for what she is, she's a Simkarian fortune teller. Not Simkarian, <laughs> sorry, that's still the same. Sokovian fortune teller. It's like that's okay. That's quite funny. That is funny that in the MCU there's a reason why that that look is a thing. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, sure. Vision looks hilarious, especially when you realise that for the majority of the episode it is just Paul Bettany with red face paint on wearing that onesie. And, and Quick side notes. Yeah. I found out the other day that because they with little foil for the, um, mind stone just sort of flopping around on his forehead. Sorry. For the episodes that they <laughs> filmed in black and white, they had to paint in blue. Yeah, I can for see it, that. For, for it to for show up in grayscale properly, they had to paint it in blue instead of red. I see that. That makes sense. That's a neat bit of trivia. <laughs> Just a neat bit of, neat bit of stuff. Um, <clears throat> a little bit of something. And I love the fact that Wanda picked out the costume for him because she apparently has a thing for Mexican wrestlers. <laughs> so, <laughs> what? Okay. Because that explains why he's got the, the big... Because obviously Vision in the comics is the, the, the yellow sort of shorts of the costume are kind of yeah. like quite high up on the waist and... In this, it's depicted by him wearing like oversized swimming shorts, like rolled up to his ribs. <laughs> it's like, that's quite funny. Uh, and Pietro's costume, fucking hell, complete with the like the old school brotherhood of evil mutants, like yeah. Wolverine esque spiky hair. Like, God, oh, that's there was only all it was missing was just that one random flick of it down the middle of his forehead that they used to sometimes draw in. Like post Kirby, everyone would always draw like that one sort of. <laughs> Like a like a like a like a spit curl that's been straightened out, <laughs> like down his face. That was that was that was phenomenal. So we it's post Kirby like a post Malone tribute act. 
maybe. It's, uh, <laughs> so we, uh, so we learn, we learn that Pietro's sort of slightly more aware of everything than anyone else. Like he's aware that Wanda's controlling yes. stuff. Yes. And she doesn't seem to be annoyed by that because she's got someone to talk to. Finally, like about yeah. it all, who sort of gets it and isn't judging her for it. And she asks him. Speaking of Buffy. Uh, the the set that they're shooting on is one that was often used for Sunnydale, and I only realised when they were leaving the movie theatre, and I was like, "The magic box is around that corner. That's the place where they get milkshakes." That I was it was really weirding me out. I was just looking at it. I was going, "Shit! Oh yeah, they use this set a lot in Buffy." Um, so whichever that back lot is, there we go. Mm. But uh, also the movie theatre, the two films they were watching, which is where the nineties two thousands blurred into each other a bit. Yes, was the Parent Trap film about twins. And switching places and and all that stuff. Obviously, the kids and, and them being twins. Um, and The Incredibles, about a super-powered family. So, um, that was kind of neat. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, there's... Because there's, oh, there's a whole thing of, like, there's kids here of Trick or Treat. And he, he questions her. He says, like, so, where have you been hiding the kids? Because there's not been any kids here, right, up to this point. Apart from your own, like, what are they, are they these mind control kids as well, or did you make them? And Wanda's like, I, huh? She sort of doesn't quite know, because it is sort of disturbing the idea. Which that is, she's that's been... the interesting thing that, that they keep going back to is that she doesn't. She's she's doing this, but she doesn't necessarily know how it works or how it started. Because yeah. like, because she, she says to him as well, it's like, what do you remember? And he's just like, I remember getting shot. And then knocking on your door. And it's just like, oh, okay. And she briefly, we get sort of a brief vision of what he, kind of like a Halloween costume version of how Pietro last looked when we saw him. Yeah. Evan Peters playing him, but he's like, his skin's all greyed out and he's got like sort of very Halloween makeup bullet wounds and stuff. And and it's like, okay, that's weird. Yep. I don't think he's necessarily there. I think the Evan Peters casting is a bit of fan service. At this point, I think it's a bit of fan service. Yeah. Um, uh, and he is part of whatever the entity is, or maybe even is whatever the villain is. I'm still not saying my Agnes theory is moot, because the side plot of this is Vision goes for a walk mm. away from Wanda. And I think it was... Uh, <clears throat> who was it who pointed out online? I think it might be Tony Goldmark online, some joke with the camera. Uh, or it could have been Will Carlyle, actually, Mr. Tardis. Someone someone tweeted about the fact that this was the first sitcom style that was a single camera style. Everything else had been studio stuff where they filmed the location bits and pieces. So like the Dick Van Dyke one, the first episode, they filmed that mostly in front of a live studio audience. As the episode says. Yeah, and and the second episode, there's studio stuff, but there's also location stuff like shooting by the pool and and yeah. and, and, uh, and whatnot. And then each episode has sets, like the kitchen is the same kitchen and it shifts slightly. The living room changes based on the decor styles of the decade. Um, Vision's office is the same, but obviously with the different colour scheme and technology of the era. Like, it's like the show is on set. I mean, their driveway in the third episode, like, the trees, a, a big painted background and everything. Like, it's all yeah, set. Yeah, it's really nice that. I like that. Except for when it's location shots, like them going out into the street. And, and it always corresponds with how it would do in that era of the show being made. Yeah. We're now in we're now in the Malcolm in the Middle format. It's a single camera sitcom. And it's not shot in front of a studio audience. It doesn't necessarily have a laugh track. 
uh, unless they show it to an audience after the fact and get it recorded. Um, meaning that for the first time ever, we don't just see Vision in the scenes that we're expecting to see him in. Yes. He walks away. And it implies that because it's single camera, if they were watching at Sword, they wouldn't necessarily be seeing the Vision stuff anymore. No. Because the single camera focus is on Wanda and Pietro. And all the background artists mm. are acting accordingly. Including that, as he's walking further down the neighbourhood, that woman hanging up the laundry and is sort of stuck in a repeated motion. And you can see the tears pouring out of her eyes. Yeah, her face it's is just blank. Horrifying! It's really scary. It's like, good God. And then as um, you get further out, they're just not moving at all. Yeah, like, they're alive, but not doing anything. Vision even, like, you know, shimmers down and looks like himself and no one moves or bats an eyelid. Until he finds Agnes outside a town, frozen in a witch's hat, <coughs> Agatha Harkness, and he um, wakes her up, and she's like, "Oh my god, it's you! You're an Avenger! Like, I don't know what's happening. What am I, what am I doing? What what am I doing here?" And he's like, "It's okay." She's like, "Am I?" He he doesn't remember know what an Avenger is because he didn't remember anything before this. Nope. So what's an Avenger? And she's like, "Oh my god, am I dead?" He's like, "No. Why would you say that?" She's like, "Because you are." And then it's like. Oh, okay. I still think Agnes is involved somehow. Um, but I like the idea that she basically like she drove out of town a little bit to because she thought it was the way to the town square, even though she already knows the way to the town square apparently. Mm. And the further she got out, the less she moved and eventually just stalled because the car engine's still running. But because yeah, she, but because she's not in shot of the single camera sitcom, she's not needed. It's very odd. So spooky. And then Vision does what we thought he was going to do. He goes to breach the hex. He notices the wall at the edge of town and he goes to leave. Meanwhile, Billy and Tommy are developing superpowers. Yep. And Billy's got sort of like a psychic connection. You can see that Vision's left and is in pain because it's like the hex is trying to pull him back in. Mm -hmm. And the longer he stays out of it, he's going to crumble to dust and die. Um, Yeah, that was a really neat effect. They spent some fucking money on this, man. Uh, well, that's having watched the trailer for Falcon the Winter Soldier, I'm like, I think maybe this might be the cheapest of the shows. <laughs> but that means they've that when they've, spent... where they've spent the money, they've spent it right. Like, they know yeah. where to focus it. It's the Game of Thrones thing. The dragons look fucking phenomenal, and you know that they're a third of the series budget, basically, yeah. to get that stuff right. So they have to plan where they spend that money. And here, him crumbling apart was terrifying. Um, so, uh, and, and Tommy develops super speed. So he dresses as a mini version of his uncle Pietro. Um, which is kind of funny. Love it. So Wanda knows that something's going wrong. So she expands the hex essentially to like entrap vision again and save his life. Uh, cause the longer he's out there, it looks like he's going to die. Or and go also back to, to being to dead. reassert her control. Yeah. Um, Monica and Jimmy, they're planning to go back in, aren't they? But they're, they're going to try and infiltrate it. Monica and, we- and Jimmy are planning to go back in, but <clears throat> Darcy warns Monica she, she gets into the computer system because they get kicked off the base. Yeah. Um, For basically they, being but, in the right. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, what's his name? Hayward. Yeah. Is it Hayward? Yeah. 
um, he's a prick, basically. <laughs> um, and he's be- and he's been a dick to everyone. And uh, so they but so they get escorted off the base. But then Jimmy Woo and Monica just be badasses, and stay mm. on the base. <laughs> uh, Darcy hacks into the computer systems, realizes that they're tracking Vision. Yes, they're tracking Vision's corpse. Yeah, um, and confirming then that, them- confirming that he is indeed a cadaver walking. Yes, and then as uh, she gets further into system, she finds Monica's medical records and discovers that um, Monica's cells have been altered on a molecular level from being going in and out of the hex. Yeah, and they don't know what's going to happen. It's how they're going to give Monica her photon powers. Um, but meanwhile. Uh, Monica's got the uh, the the contact, her aerospace engineer contact, who's going to give them some kind of thing that will allow them to get into the hex without being altered. Mm-hmm. So they go off to meet them, which is how they how they manage to stay out of the expanding hex. Mm. Darcy's not so lucky. Oh, I can't wait to see where this goes. So Darcy's handcuffed by one of the one of the, the sword grunts to a jeep, and as the hex expands, that grunt panics and leaves her there. So she sort of basically braces herself to become like mind controlled and part of the hex. And another curse cut shot from Darcy. Yes, another an F bomb getting cut. Oh off. But um I love the, it. I the love reason it. the reason it's extra enjoyable is uh, and someone on someone on my uh, Twitch Discord pointed this out. They went, so next week's the 2000s, 2010s homage, right? Mm. You know, the 2010s? That era well, where made... Kat Dennings was a main cast member in one of the most popular sitcoms in American <laughs> television. Fucking love it! And it's like, I love it! I don't think they'd obviously directly reference, like... Two broke girls, but you just know she's going to be like working in a coffee shop or something. And it, do you know what I mean? It's like if they don't do yeah. that, they're really missing an opportunity to go, eh? 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 <laughs> you, you remember that show that she did? The reason why, like, you know she'd be fucking good in the sitcom eh? world. Here we go. Um, eh? it, it's an episode where not a lot happens. It's more that the layers are no, being peeled lo- back a, now. A lot happens, you just don't get many answers. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, it's are clear there, that are it's there clear that eight or nine episodes because I'm seeing conflicting sources on that. There are nine. Right. Okay. Now I'm happy. I then. believe that there means are we've nine. Got, that means we've got three more. Yeah. Which is just the right amount of time to blockbuster the shit out of this and give um, us the third act. So, because the third act has begun, like the hex yeah. has expanded. The third act is here. Like we're about to get I... some answers and see some combat and hopefully meet our antagonist which would be we nice. still don't know what the deal is with pietro no but we know that he seems to be more aware of it all which Wanda's, suggests wanda's fine with that but is she just fine with that because she has her brother back kind of i still believe that wanda's under the influence mm. or the control of something else yeah yeah that's using her grief and her desire to have these things back in her life because I feel like Pietro is to keep, asking to her keep questions. her sort of under the spell of it all. Yeah. Yeah. I believe Pietro is asking her questions to understand how she's doing it on behalf of something else. Yeah. Almost some, like something's some, given her the power to do this. 
but doesn't quite know how it works and wants to. Something that also wanted her to have kids that needed to grow older and have powers of their own. It's... Um, hmm. I, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Also, the, the, the advert this week as well was sort of um, playing it lower as well, wasn't it? It was... Uh, what was it? What was it? Your magic. Yes. So basically it was like, use your magic to set things right, to feed yourself your magic. That was grim. Yeah. That, it that kind was of like the first time the advert that... really went sort of like, the advert yeah. went disturbing as well. It was like, ooh. Like it, does it imply that something is feeding off her? Maybe? Maybe. Mm. Maybe, maybe. Um, or she'll be stuck there till she dies. Yeah. Because it's the kid trying to open the freaking frogut and dying. Yep. Um, do we think? Who do we think the aerospace engineer is? That they have very pointedly not named yet. Because a, a big chunk of the internet is thinking it's Reed Richards. Um. Which I don't think is going to happen. Because I don't think they're going to sneak a backdoor origin for Fantastic because Four I into don't one think division. Not even around for Fantastic Four, but like an early bird cameo for Reed. Because like, I don't think that... Unless they've... it's a post-credit scene to the series and it's not important to the actual... The main plot of the series itself by the end of it. But then in the post-credits, they're like... Well, no, because they're going to meet this person now. Next <clears throat> episode, they True. will meet this person. So what, what's, what's their job again? They're an aerospace engineer. Hmm. Maybe it's no one. Maybe it's just a fake out. But maybe I mean, it is I mean, it could be Rhodey. He's not an engineer. Could be now. No, he's not an engineer. This, this could be this could be a tag to set up he's, Armor Wars. He's not an engineer. <laughs> Alright, right. Re- oh, <laughs> he's, oh, he is a soldier. Re- he's Re- not Re- an engineer. Revy Williams. Child prodigy. Um anyway. Not a bad idea. I mean they have said Ironheart's one of the shows they're gonna do, so mm-hmm. I'll be down for that. I don't think it's Reed mainly because I just don't think they've cast him yet. Unless this is them going, Here you go, motherfuckers. Enjoy. But not necessarily making him like a main part. It's more a uh, in the story. It's someone they consult and it helps them crack it. Outside of the story, it's to say to the universe, "Hey, here's proof that Fantastic Four films happening. Reed's mm. been cast. Like this is Reed." So basically, if John Krasinski shows up in a lab coat in the next episode, then um, I'll we, be a happy boy. We got what we wanted. So <laughs> yay! Um, I liked it. It was great. The show's been great so far. Uh, roll on the next three. Holy shit. Yeah. It, it continues to be great to the surprise of no one. And then since there's three more, that means there'll be a week gap. And then Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So. Yes. Yes, I think please. they're supposed to be nine. I'm not sure. I, again, like you, I've seen conflicting reports. But nine's the number I've had in my head. Nine. That's the magic number. Yes, it is. Should we talk about magic numbers? Um, before we talk about magic numbers, <laughs> I'm gonna eat another biscuit. Go on. I need to get another beer. Oh, oh! So yeah. before we talk about the X Men, <laughs> an hour and ten minutes into this X Men centric podcast, before we talk about the first of the three movies we're going to oh my microphone that we're going to talk about, <laughs> then let's. Uh, I'm gonna get a beer. So fill for time. This is a song about Matt going to get a beer. This is a song about Matt going to get a beer. 
I see the reflection in his camera feed of him in the window in the background. The light in his kitchen just turned on. He's going to get a beer. He's going to get a beer. He's going to get a beer. I just placed a whoopee cushion on his chair. He's going to get a beer. He's coming back right now. He's going to sit right down. He's going to sit on the... There it is. Thing is, I, I can't place a whoopee cushion because I'm actually there, so... I've returned! Me. Oh, hey! I'm hey, going to be interested to hear what that was in the edit. Oh, uh, hey, guy, how you doing? <laughs> how, oh, how's your... How's... Mmm... 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 Anywho, um... So, let's go... Three's a magic number, boy. <laughs> let's go to 2013? 14. 2014. Yeah, when we thought we all knew better. And let's um, talk about X-Men. Days of Future Past. Not to be confused with the comic book Days of Future Past, which is an or, X-Men comic book. Indeed, the, the comic book Days of Future Present. No! Or indeed the comic book Years of Future Past. Oh, God. Days of Future Present is an X-Men Fantastic Four crossover that did in the annuals, and it's terrible. Um... <laughs> Long story short, there's an X-Men comic book from way back when. Yeah. Storyline called Days of Future Past, which is like a... It's like a, it's only like two issues long. Yeah. And it's um, like Kitty Pride. her consciousness is sent back into a younger self from the future to stop, uh, like, an assassination that is going to spark off um, an anti-mutant regime in the future mm-hmm. that kills every, all the mutants, basically. Yeah. And we only spend a bit of time in the future timeline where everything's gone to shit. Yeah. And we mostly spend it in the present day. But yeah. it captured everyone's imagination so much that it's one of those X-Men stories that stuck around. It stood the test of time. Um, yeah. You know, it, uh, it's, 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 it's your God loves man kills. It's that kind of like, oh, this is amazing. Like, this well, is- it's, it's, uh, it's, it's like slap bang in the middle of Claremont's like, an incredible run on X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, like I say, it's only two issues long. It's a, it's a, it's a cool concept. They use the characters really well. It's got it, that iconic front cover of a wall of It's got two iconic faces. front covers. Oh yeah, but the the one I always zero in on is that one with the the, the wall of faces, and you've got like executed, like yeah, missing, yeah. and all these faces crossed out. And, and it's you've got Kitty Wolverine Brian, and Kane old Wolverine. Yeah, like oh shit, something's clearly approaching them to eradicate them. And then the next issue is old Wolverine getting blasted by a sentinel with the yes. text. This yeah. issue. Everyone dies. Yeah, which is great. Um, the film does something similar. It's um, it follows on from the post-credit scene, the mid-credit scene of the Wolverine. Yep, where um, a now alive Xavier and Magneto recruit Wolverine because like their extinction is coming. And you're mm. like, oh shit. Um, the present day given to us at the start of the film is. At least another twenty years in the future, possibly. Yeah. Um, although, how people age becomes very fucking complicated in the X Men franchise. We'll talk about onwards. that in Apocalypse. So, <laughs> is it explained how Xavier came back to life? Nope. Is there any acknowledgement of anything that's happened in the time since? No. No. Nope. Except that the Sentinels. We finally get them, Matt. One of the most iconic X-Men arch enemies of all time. The robotic sentinels, mutant hunting killer machines. My favorite. um, That are these like five story tall purple robots that shoot laser beams out their hands and have weird tendrils in their wrists and have these blank 
automaton like horror horror nightmare robot just if a robot were an eldritch horror that's what their faces look like they're just terrifying um they're like, yeah they're, 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 that's what they look like they're, hor- they're, they're horrifying they're horrifying um we finally get them uh after a, a, a easter egg at the end of x-men the last stand at the start of x-men the last stand where yeah in the danger room wolverine like off screen cuts the head off of one and it do flies into shot the... and in that it's like five stories tall do you remember the video game adaptation of x-men, X-Men origins, origins wolverine, wolverine which yeah. where the entire back end of the game replaces the back end of the film with a plot about f- sentinels in the future yeah yeah, and event- event- eventually you have eventually you have a boss fight with uh, fake Deadpool, like, and then and then the game ends. <laughs> You're like, yeah. okay, sure. Um, that game was the best thing to come out of the X Men franchise fucking good. Up, up, up until Deadpool. Um, <clears throat> it's great. X Men Origins Wolverine, a twelve A movie that's a pile of shit. X Men Origins Wolverine, the video game, is an eighteen certificate violent slugfest. Yeah, that sort of adapts the story of the film. Has Hugh Jackman and Lee Schreiber playing their parts in it, and has like three other interwoven storylines set across like fifty years worth of the character's life. And, it's like, and you, can, and you can play as him in the um, <clears throat> the black and grey X Force costume. And it's yes, sweet. you can. And just like X Men Two: Wolverine's Revenge of the PS Two, one of the buttons pops your claws, which <laughs> is just so satisfying. Like, there's no need for that. There's no need to have a button to pop the claws because they could just come out for when you're doing your attacks. But there is something satisfying about hitting R2 and on screen him just going, snicked and out Although, they come. if you have it as a mechanic in a game where you can melee knock out people or kill them and have that tie into some sort of morality meter, that's a good idea for a Wolverine game. Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> so. I'll have to patent it now. Or just heavily mod Spider-Man Web of Shadows. <laughs> I mean, the Wolverine model's in the game. Yeah, to be so you, fair, yeah. Yeah, it's not a great Wolverine model, but <laughs> it's in there. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, th- this is... Um, Days of Future Past adapts it sort of. The present we're introduced to at the start of the movie is sometime in the future, and we have Sunspot, um, Blink, um, Iceman, Kitty Pride. Uh, oh, uh, and for those who followed this series chronologically, this is the first episode we're recording after Elliot Page has come out as yes. trans. So whenever we refer to Elliot, the actor, we'll be referring to Elliot. Uh, we may use the she pronoun for Kitty Pride because the character. Um, the character is female. The yeah. actor is male. Actor is male. So uh, we'll refer so, to Elliot Page as a he. Yeah. Refer to Kitty Pride as a she. And if you are wondering why we didn't do that in the previous two episodes we recorded those yeah before la page came out before came out so yeah there so. we go uh so retroactively rewrite in your brain how those two episodes were worded okay yes great. um cheers so you got kitty pride uh colossus and bishop so you've got a few fan favorites showing up sunspot is a bit of a fave blink i don't know has blink got a fan base blink is only really she throws teleportation portals basically That's like she only thing. really turns up in age of apocalypse tie-in stuff and Exiles. Yeah, this which borrows is a, a very... bit from Age. Of, this borrows a bit from Age of Apocalypse as well in terms of some yeah. of its choices and visual choices. And, and that character also turns up in Exiles, mm-hmm. one of the many runs of Exiles, which is quite a cult favorite book amongst X Men fans. Um, about a bunch of like different 
universes versions of X characters coming together and being um, alternate universe travellers. So uh, she's in, a big part of that book. Uh, in this opening, and we get Bishop, who looks fucking great as well. Yeah. Oh, oh, Warpath. Warpath's in this opening Warpath. sequence as well. Um, and and Bishop again, without even really giving any of these newer mutants um, screen time or dialogue, like they display their powers really well. <laughs> like all of yeah. them is like, oh wow, this the, is the fun. opening sequence of this film with the Sentinel attack. Yeah, well, and the is sen- really cool. The sen- I hate the Sentinel design, but it makes sense to the plot, and they at least give yeah. us both versions, I guess, by the end. Well, both versions, which are both poorly designed. Yeah, the head shape of these guys is sort of reminiscent of the Bastion era, like, um, what are the Sentinels that are human-sized, that were sort of disguised as people? Uh, Prime, Sentinel Omega Prime? Sentinels? Omega Sentinels? Sentinel Primes? The, the ones where they just look like, like men and women with white hair and pink skin, and they were essentially disguised as humans, and then would be like, eradicate yeah, mutants and attack mutants and stuff i can't remember if they were called omega sentinels or sentinel primes mm. or prime Cause, sentinels because it sort of comes out the same area from, era from the 90s 2000s of like bastion and all that sort of stuff but bastion it? created them yeah it's but, the um, it's the operation zero tolerance storyline that they turn up in and um, these guys these is, these black mosaic ones kind of have that little brow design in yeah. the shape of their head but they're just these featureless things essentially um they're sort of like the destroyer armor if it didn't have any swag a bit like the the keanu reeves david Earth uh, still version uh, of Gort. yes yes from uh yeah oh god yeah that's a really accurate comparison fuck um they probably use that, the same also that film you. happened everyone just to remind you that film exists yeah don't watch it, don't watch it but it exists it's not great um, it's, it's, it's not no but is this film? Stick around to find out. Not entirely. Point is, um, they all die horrendously. It's a sequence of, here's what would happen if the X-Men were slaughtered. And Kitty Pride uses her phasing... They don't explain it fully, but they, they, they basically explain that over the last couple decades, Kitty's developed her phasing ability to also apply to like um, consciousness. So she can phase someone's consciousness to a different point in their life. Which isn't a natural evolution of she can walk through walls, but sure, whatever. Jean Grey's had weird power sets over the years, so fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's... Does Storm control the weather or create the weather? Like, what does any of this mean? It's just... It, it, they explain it about as much as they do anything in this film, which is to say, not very well. Yeah, and not much, and way better than they explain anything in Apocalypse. But we'll get to that. But they they die in a final stand against them trying to get hold of something from a safe that might save them or whatever. And Kitty phases bishops, and this is a throwaway line of dialogue explaining it later on, because this yeah. happens. And as they're about to be shot, Katie and Bishop, uh, Kitty and Bishop, everything fades away, and th- th- there's no damage there anymore. And it's like, wait, what's just happened? Like, no Sentinels there. It's like, what just happened? A throwaway line of dialogue later in the film explains that Kitty cast Bishop's consciousness back to like a week prior. Um, and he warns them that that sting we're going to do does not work. We have to do something else. Like, that's it. Like, our final stand isn't going to work. We need a new plan. We yeah. never see that. Bishop's never given any fucking lines of dialogue to like let us see him be the one to do that but you know the only reason they did that is because it's like well bishop's thing is he comes from the future and he's like shit's going down yeah so it's well, him I, I, I also, guess 
but tell also, you, uh, how does he phase back if Kitty didn't finish the? I thought she had to be maintaining the transfer of consciousness for it to work. Yeah, but once it's worked, she was never there in the first place. True. So they've got short and time travel now, basically. Um, yeah. Um, so we have the a pocket, thing is a pocket. Oh, go on, go on. The thing is, and we're gonna. Uh, this is gonna come up a few times during us talking about. Uh, <laughs> specifically the next two X-Men movies, not necessarily Deadpool, but this and an Apocalypse, is that this franchise continues to hint at stories and mm-hmm. sequences which are more interesting than anything in the story or sequence that you are watching that they've produced. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you could have made a whole film... Out of the fall of mutant kind and humanity to the Sentinels. Because when they describe what's happened, the reason why the Earth is fucked, and why, like, there's no one alive apart from... I think they imply that there are people being kept alive in camps, like, for manual labour to... No, there there are mutants being kept alive in camps. Right. Ah, you've got a unique perspective on this, because you've seen the road cut, haven't you? It's not really not that much different. Okay, there we go. But I'll get Um, to that. But, like, because that has something to do with the camps, right? sort of tangentially yeah so we 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 meet like you could do a whole film about that because they talk about the idea that the sentinels began to learn and adapt skynet styly and they were given something which is key to the plot plot of this film that meant they were able to transform and adapt their defenses against mutant attacks to to combat them directly and then they started to manifest as powers so it's essentially like the robot nanogene kind of thing of like they they adapt to the situation. So basically super adaptoids. So can Disney sue? Anyway, um, can Disney I send mean, their that's... consciousness back in time to 2014 and sue? To be um, fair, that's the thing Sentinels have always been able to do. Fair enough. But um, but they don't have a cool name like super adaptoids. Anyway. No. Su- <laughs> yeah, a cool name. <laughs> Sorry, they don't have, super uh, much, they don't have a funny name. Like super adaptoids. Fuck but um hell. so they started killing all mutants. Instead of detaining, they just start killing them. And then they begin to identify the mutant X gene. Right down to its smallest sort of components. So they would start killing humans, Homo sapiens, who had the gene in their DNA that would have likely sort of sparked by the time they had grandkids. Yeah. So essentially Sentinel started killing billions of people over a couple of decades meaning they kind of need to be stopped for everyone's sake um but it's too late the world's fucked you could have made a movie out of that and you could have cliffhangered it with the notion that they start to form that plan and then the next film could have been the time travel thing to to set the timeline right yeah but no you had to be 10 um we have a small band of X-Men left. We've got Warpath Bishop, Blink Iceman, um, Kitty Pride, Sunspot, Storm, who has no lines of dialogue in this. Like, they've got Halle Berry back, but she doesn't say anything she apart a, from like, go, ha! She has a couple of lines. But it's nothing. weird that though, isn't it? Imagine. Imagine, like, think back to Infinity War, right? No. Everyone, and Endgame, everyone in that 
Every character you know gets at least a moment that's like theirs and they own it and you remember it. Like every single one, even freaking Wong, you know, like you wanted more. Like they, mm-hmm. they have these beats that, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like any of your cast in Endgame, even those who were in it for just like four seconds of screen time but like it's a character from a previous movie it doesn't feel like any of them are shortchanged it feels like they're all given like the main characters are these characters and the rest of them are all given their moments like which is why that movie is so impressive like even if you're not even if you don't like like that movie as a film as a technical like sort of pacing screenwriting level, yeah. exercise the plates they manage to keep spinning is astonishing and yet this doesn't give Storm anything to do, despite being someone from the original films. Mm. Magneto doesn't say very much in the future timeline either. Ian McKellen's got like four lines. Not at all, um, no. It's very, very odd. Uh, Colossus is there again and, and whatnot. And this will be the last appearance of, of OG Colossus. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> uh, I.e. dude who doesn't speak much but turns metal to fight things. Um, and we of course have Logan, because of course, uh, Professor X and Magneto, and everyone's wearing futuristic battle armor, i.e., boring hockey pad outfits, and with tiny splashes of color in the design <laughs> a little bit. And they realize that they can't send anyone back to like the, the idea is they're going to send Xavier's mind back even further because they've pinpointed the downfall of everything. To 1973, to the signing of the Paris Accords, when Mystique shot and killed Bolivar Trask, the inventor of the Sentinels. Because that led to them detaining her, experimenting on her, and cracking the code. And they, they make it clear, like, it's over the course of 40 to 50 years, they use what they have of her DNA to crack the code to make the Sentinels adaptive and shape-shifting and, and essentially the lethal force that leads them to keep developing and becoming more sentient and, and independent and everything. Yeah. Um, so, and, and that, when, so at this point, we're dealing with the original X-Men timeline still. Which means that Mystique obviously got away and then film one, two, three, X-Men Origins Wolverine, like, they happened. Um, yeah. And this is the eventual future. So <laughs> they're going to send Xavier back, but they don't know if it's going to work. And mostly because it could destroy his body in the present to do so. And then Wolverine volunteers, like, send me back. Like, I'm, I'm just going to heal. And if Kitty can make it work and, you know, they've never sent anyone back more than like a week. So this is sending someone back 50 years. Yeah. And they've all aged phenomenally. Um because keep in mind, Kitty Pride, even in this scenario, would be in her like late thirties, early forties. Still looks like a teenager. Um, yep. It's just it's, but we'll get into that. I mean, they do. I mean, they do, I mean they do Elliot Page is one of those people who just he doesn't age. Oh no! Like he's just <laughs> like he just always looks really young. He he always looks super young and a tiny bit tired. Do you know what I mean? Like super maybe, young, but maybe like, hasn't had a coffee yet. <laughs> So basically, the perma- he ha- he has eternal student face. Elliot Page so- is tidy as shit. <laughs> That's Fair what it enough. is. Um, they do a good job with uh, 
Hugh Jackman and Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. Like Patrick Stewart looks older than he he has looked at any other point in these films. In this one, he looks because he is older than he has. Oh been yeah, at but but they, but they don't they don't because that's how time works. <laughs> no, I know, but I mean, like they don't make a thing of like the, you know the the makeup isn't used to aid like the movie star. No, look here. no, it's, no, it's, I get you. McKellen, they uh, an easy trick to make someone look older, especially a a, a male actor, is to shave the hair super short at the sides and sort of give them a shorter cut at the top. Yeah. Which, for some reason, that just seems to work really well. David Tennant in his last series of Doctor Who, like, is it the least erratic hair he ever had in his time? And it's because it's just, like, shorn right the fuck down around the back and sides and everything. And he just, he just looks older naturally. They do that with McKellen in this. It's a good look. Dude looks handsome as fuck in this movie, if tired. Um, and with Wolverine, they let you Jackman be the age he is and they salt and pepper his hair at the sides... Days of Future Past style. Um, I think it's a good looking Wolverine, like the future Wolverine. Yeah, it's good. I, I like I like old I like an older Wolverine, a bit grizzled. They uh they send Wolverine back, and now he's younger, having sex with a mafia dom's a mafia don's mole. He's on the a only person who can physically survive the mental trip. Ridiculous. Um. What's hilarious is 1973 Wolverine looks 30 years older than 1999 Wolverine. <laughs> he looks so much older in this movie in the past. It's nuts. But they try to distract you with just arse cheeks. And what an arse. I, I mean, hello. But, um, Which um, was uh, insistence of... Hugh Jackman. Uh, Hugh Jackman. Huge jacked man. Yeah. There's a couple He's of like, actors in, in the next couple of films who insist on certain choices for their costumes, and sometimes they don't pay off, but Hugh Jackman asked for no costume, and it worked out. I mean, he's a good-looking man. He's a good-looking man. He bloody well... I bet, he... I, I bet now, quite rightfully, in 2021, he's got a little paunch going on, and he's let himself oh, slouch as a well more, he He's earned it. He's fucking earned it at this point. Um, 20 years of, of doing that to his body so he could be Wolverine every other year. Like, yeah, he was let, super let the dude dehydrated eat, in that scene. Let the dude eat a chicken curry like, and then get another one and then another one. Fuck that, just let him drink water. <laughs> For God's sake. Hugh, do, let do you, the man drink some fluid. Guys, guys, I've discovered the greatest thing ever. I, I had no idea. It's called Vimpto. You put it, <laughs> you put it in the water. It's incredible. Um, I, never, I never knew water came in different flavours. This one's called a barley. Um, so You can drink it warm. You can drink it cold. It's amazing. Um, so, yeah, long story short, if you if you listen to this, you've seen the film. Um, yeah. Let's just pick it to fucking pieces, because, my God. So, so... so we are now having two timelines converge. The original X Men timeline happened, including day, uh, including X Men First Class. That was apparently part of the original timeline, um, right up to the part that the nineteen seventy three portion of this movie is now a sequel to X Men First Class. Yes, we have. Uh, everyone was drafted for the Vietnam War. And people of all ages left to so the school. We found out the school uh, for Xavier's, you know, Institute for Gifted Youngsters never actually quite got off the ground. It hasn't become the school as we know it yet it tried and then a bunch of students got drafted into the vietnam war mm-hmm. um the pain and suffering going on in the u.s was enough to make xavier crave like numbness from his powers because he wasn't able to block out like the so- that's a great idea the idea that like the country is at yeah. war people are suffering and 
he can't block it out because it's just so overwhelming. So Hank McCoy uh, develops like a reverse version of the, like, so the mutant, well, he perfects a version of the mutant suppression hormone that he, he worked on in first class. Yeah. So what it ends up doing, this is ridiculous. So it numbs Xavier's brain and it basically becomes a story about addi- addiction for Xavier. He's, he's shooting up on the serum like at least once a day to block out his powers. Yeah. Somehow though, it also gives him back his ability to walk. Well, the idea is that it, despite what, the um, fact that his powers aren't why he's wheelchair bound, a bullet severed his spine. Well, no, the, the that's idea not is how science works. They're, they're, they're different serums. The one beast takes. <laughs> yeah. Is different from the one Xavier takes. The one Xavier takes is a treatment for his spine, which allows right. him to walk, that has the side effect of dampening his powers. Right. But if your spine's been severed, a serum I'm not doesn't it makes sense. It. That'd I'm be just like saying. saying, my arm fell off. That's all right. Just drink this Vimpto. I drank a Vimpto and my arm came back on. <laughs> and then I stopped drinking it and um, it fell off. Um, it just, I don't know. I mean, like, the idea is it's like Xavier is trying to basically go against everything we know of him from the last film in his, this yeah. Xavier's chronology. He's not mutant and proud, but with that weird hypocrisy about like, oh, it's being mutant and proud. Oh, but Raven don't look like that in public. And it's it, like it's they, a, they, it's they get rid of that and it becomes more about, yeah. I just want to be, I want to be normal so I can block out the pain. Um, it doesn't really add anything to the story. No. It's just... McAvoy plays the hell out of it, but it doesn't really do anything. But again, but that's, again, that's something. That it's an obstacle. Apocalypse is they love padding out these movies with things that don't actually add anything to the plot or yeah. give you anything interesting. They just make it longer. I mean, we get to see the um, swagger of uh, of cocky Xavier just being like. This is a lot of bullshit. Leave me alone. McAvoy's doing his best Jack Sparrow. Well, McAvoy's doing his best Johnny Depp on a wine bender, essentially. And it's it's yeah. it's entertaining. But it it is when you get to the end of his uh, arc, it's like when you get to the end of his arc, it's like, what did he learn? Guff. Like what did he learn? Yeah. The reason they depowered stuff. him is so that they could have other mutants do things in scenes where Xavier would totally be able to do it. Yeah. So Wolverine manages to convince them that he's from the future and Charles sent him back. Um and Charles drops the second F bomb in the franchise, um, misquoting yeah. the previous movie, which is really weird. Yeah, it's. I mean, it has been ten years, but also true. I mean, has it? Look at all their faces. Because um, we briefly, as well, cut to a paramilitary operation where mutants are being used in Nam, and a, a, a general's trying to get them shipped back home. We found out that general's mystique trying to get them out of harm's way because. She's become aware that they're going to be taken for experimentate further experimentation, as um, many of the uh, the mutants from first class also have been. They just didn't want to bring back some of those characters, yeah, so they just killed them. We learn that Emma Frost, Azazel, Banshee, uh, and Angel, first Angel with butterfly wings. Um, we learn that they've been killed. The no world fucking, is a vampire. No ding, mention ding, of um, what's his fuck. Um, uh, it's not Whirlwind. That's an Iron Man villain. Who's who's the? Uh, I've already forgotten his name. Riptide. 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 No mention of Riptide. Um, 
I mean, in this group, we've got in this group we've got sort of a version of of the porcupine dude. Um, oh yeah, we've got Toad, or maybe Toad's dad. Like <laughs> it's because here's the thing: this is the a clean, age of these characters just is all the over way, the place. The way this film ends, it's a clean slate. As long as you get to the timeline, the end of this film introduces then it all can make sense. You could tell whatever stories you want because they make a point in this film. There's a a great scene where like they thought they'd prevented it from happening, but they've got some of Raven's DNA from her blood on the pavement. And Hank says, there's a theory in quantum physics. There's a theory that time is just a river and you can throw a boulder into it and create ripples, but it will always correct its course. Yeah. So maybe... Maybe the war is destined to happen. Maybe Raven. It, maybe this is just who Raven is, and the emotional stake by that point is Charles is like, no, I don't. I don't believe. I can't believe that that's who she is. We have to challenge this. And obviously, Wolverine's emotional stake is no. We need to prevent the fucking war. <laughs> like I'm from the future where things go to shit. We need to prevent the war. I also one note I did like about this that they don't really do much with it is uh, except for make a shit joke. Um, is that Wolverine is of course pre Weapon X. So he's got the bone yeah. claws, which is just nice to see. It's like, that's kind of cool. We didn't really get a full film of that, so that's kind of cool. Um, but then it's it's all in the excuse for Magneto just randomly be like, imagine if those were made of metal. You're like, and? Oh, why, why would you say, metal detector why would you say that? That was to. nice. That was nice because it's subtle. Like, it's, it's down mm. to Jackman's facial expression to sell that and make it a fun little moment because it's also following on from that mid-credits scene at the end of the Wolverine, the last time we saw him. So yeah. it's like, that's quite funny. Um, anyway, uh, <clears throat> so Hank makes the point of things will always end up one way. So by the end of the film, we learn that the war's prevented and what we see in the last scene of this movie is essentially the X-Men I think we all wish we could have. And it, it's obviously <laughs> set It's obviously set maybe like five years... Well... No, because it would be set in the time... It's set at the exact same time as the future timeline in this. Yeah. Which means... So it'll be set around now. Scott and Jean and Aurora um, are uh, are at the very least in their late 40s, early 50s. Yeah. Which... Except, no, they fucking aren't. Yeah. Um, Hank McCoy... Hold on to that feeling, because it's going to come back. Hank McCoy is hilarious because it's, it's a fun cameo. It's like, oh shit, Kelsey Grammer. Yay! Kelsey Grammer's back for, for a cheeky little cameo. It's like, you know, morning, Logan. Or whatever it is. And it's like, a little late for lessons, aren't we? <laughs> oh, my stars and bollocks. Um, oh, my stars and bollocks. But I've got to say, <laughs> if, if you watch this film, just focus on his face. Doesn't look good. It's a bit ropey. Because they've obviously not put they've obviously not put Kelsey Grammer under all the prosthetics for a cameo. They've CGI'd it on. Well, it was last minute reshoots because he was supposed to have a bigger role in the future stuff. Oh, there you go. He couldn't be in it because he was busy filming Transformers: Age of Extinction. Oh dear lord! (laughs) And falling Um, off of stages. Um, So yeah, but like it, it doesn't. Not great. We get to see Anna I mean, Paquin in the theatrical cut. That's the only place where we see Anna Paquin in the future yeah. timeline. It's like, she has oh, like, her and Bobby are still dating, and they look about twenty. <laughs> she has like nearly top billing. Yeah, to the point where Jennifer Lawrence, I don't think he's even on the poster because 
Now that surprises me because that, this is the last one where it is like way up in the credits. This is the last one. Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Uh, on the DVD cover, uh, top billing's Hugh Jackman because on the Blu-ray cover it just says Hugh Jackman, X-Men: Days of Future Past. Um, Huge Ackman. Because the thing was, when this came out, it was in the build-up to it. It was kind of exciting because it was like, oh shit, it's the cast from remember, First Class, which was pretty fun, and remember, and the original cast. Like, oh my god. Plus Peter Dinklage. Like, this is going to be really fucking cool. I remember coming out of the cinema having watched it with our friend Charles and being like, Charles. yeah, that was pretty good. I enjoyed that. Oh yeah, my initial um, response at the time was okay. Yeah, sure. But then it does not hold up to rewatches. Oh no. Oh no 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 no. And even especially, watching... especially when you know what comes after it, even that damages it even more. Because yeah. the end of this film goes, here's the X Men movie you all actually want to watch, where like these characters you love are all at the mansion, and it is a school, and they're all yeah. clearly a op- special ops team, and Wolverine's stayed there, and isn't this great? And it's X Men Evolution essentially. It's teasing you like, hey, look at that, look what's going on here. It's a school. And, it's fun. and I love the idea that obviously time happened differently for everyone, and for Wolverine, maybe his memories will sync up eventually. Yeah. Of everything that's different, uh, but that he. He says like you know I I'm I'm back and Charles who obviously will have had a completely different life will be able to kind of connect with his mind or whatever and go like because he goes like we have so much to catch up on because obviously yeah. Charles must have just read his mind and been like oh shit okay and that's kind of sweet it's like oh what a lovely ending like the X Men we all know and love including the ones that have died aren't dead in this timeline and they're all hanging out and holy shit it's the X Men yay. So anything that happens now going forward in the sequels set in the past timeline has to lead to that future. Like that future is where they're all going because we now know that that's the corrected timeline. And then they make a point of things will always turn out a certain way. Ripples, you know, there might be ripples, but things will always straighten out. And that's that's sort of the end twist of the movie is that Wolverine, 1973 Wolverine's nearly dead bodies fished out of the river in Washington and is taken by Stryker. And it's like, oh, so even in this timeline, Weapon X gets to him. It's a different time, different circumstances, but it always ends up happening to him. Except. And in the next chronological film, we learn that it takes 10 years for that thing to happen to him. But whatever. Because... Except it's not Stryker though, is it? Yeah. It's not Stryker that fishes him out of the river. It's Mystique. And the actor was not told that. <laughs> you know why? They probably didn't decide that until the edit. Until the edit. And they went, well, that'd be mysterious. And then they don't do anything with it in the next chronological film. <laughs> no, let's, they really let's, don't. So let's talk about timelines. This is a perfect excuse for them to reset stuff. And they do take advantage of it in the next movie. We have characters that have appeared before showing up in different decades, which is... Is weird, yeah. Because it's like, well, hang on, that can't they can't be that different. Like again, introducing Scott and Jean, especially, like Xavier and, and McCoy, and Eric. It kind of adds up by the timeline of the original movies. They they're sort of around the ages that they would be, like their sixties, seventies. It's like sure, which makes Beast's inclusion in Last Stand even more impressive because it's like that dude's like seventy and he's just leaping around beating the fuck out of soldiers. He's the beast. He's the beast. Um, there comes a time when oh, you get the point. Um, you know, and and so that that adds up. But this now suggests that Scott 
and Jean, um, especially, are like old as fuck when we meet them originally compared to how old we thought they were. Old as balls. Let's it's really save, odd. Let's save the timeline. Yeah. Age oh, stuff no, but the reason I bring it, the reason I bring it up is like that it's it. They could they could do all that later. Like they can they yeah. ha- they can now play with the canvas and they they take liberties with it. But this film has to be the one that matches everything that's come before it and first class to create a new jumping off point. Yeah. The character of Bolivar Trask has already appeared in an X Men movie. Yeah. Bolivar Trask was played by Bill Duke in X-Men The Last Stand. Yeah. Bill Duke, who's a pretty, you know, entertaining actor when he crops up in the Commando and Predator and stuff, like Green Beret, motherfucker. Like, Bill Duke is a very tall, very large, heavy-set, bald black man who, in the timeline of X-Men The Last Stand, is, is in, like, the 20... It's sort of the late 2000s, early 2010s is when that's set. And he, at the time, the actor himself would have been in his late 50s. Around that time. Late 50s. Peter Dinklage is none of the things that describe Bill Duke in terms of physical appearance. And yet, is playing a clearly late 30s, early to late 40s something Bolivar Trask in 1973. (laughs) It's like... Okay, so... Do you know what? We can accept that as a retcon for the purpose of the Sentinel plot. Sure. Whatever. Fine. And you know what? Fine. Like, I, bu- I, buy, I buy that Stryker had an issue with mutants earlier than what we were aware of. And it yeah. was during Vietnam. And it's an excuse for us to see Havoc briefly. And then it's like, oh, no, no. Can we bring him back? Because he's actually kind of entertaining. And he's gone now. But like, and It's it's great to see Peter Dinklage in a, in a role where his... Uh, his stature isn't his part state, of his it. His stature is, doesn't come up. It's it's I don't not think. it's no it never does ever and that's brilliant it, it's one of the things this film does well is he gets given a fucking great part and he smashes it well I don't know if it's a great part but well I don't know because it, it, it's 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 that thing of there's no there's not really a villain in this film yeah, well, he's the closest thing you get to a villain I suppose but that, yeah. that's what I mean he's like he's he's because he makes a big point in it that it, when when Striker's talking to him he's like I guess you hate mutants he's like no quite the contrary I'm I I admire them. I think they're incredible, but they're gonna they're gonna kill us and overtake us, and I I don't want that. And if we stop that, then this could be the very first thing that unites every superpower, every country together, like our survival. And it's like every his motivation is understandable. It's misguided, but it's understandable. Say the least, yeah. It's understandable. You get it. And he doesn't see himself as the villain. He doesn't take pleasure in doing what he's doing, but he's passionate about it because it means saving the world as far as yeah. he's concerned. Now, it would have been juicier had he has somehow been shown what the eventuality of his inventions leads to. Because I think that would have been a meatier part for him to get into. Like, you know, you wanted this. It leads to this. Like, you you are the first you 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 fire the first bullet in a hail of bullets that destroys like half of the planet's populace not just mutants like you know what i mean you could do something about that but yeah they don't he kind of gets sidelined toward the end and is just part of the president's group of cowering politicians um 
the guy he comes up against the most is the bloke who plays the mayor in the t- 1998 Godzilla. And yeah. That really, that really distracted me. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, it's that guy. Um, mayor Ebert. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Siskel and Ebert's reviewed that film. We know Roland Emmerich doesn't like us. We made me a shitty mayor and, and you a shitty mayor's assistant, but could he not have had us like stomped on by Godzilla yeah. or something? Like He missed the opportunity. <laughs> like We would have loved to have seen that. Like Caricatures of us being like eaten by Godzilla. That would have been amazing. Roland Emmerich. Fucking hack. Anyway, the point is... Um, the point is... That's a lot of fish. Uh, <laughs> the past timeline stuff is interesting ideas, but like you said, they pl- they're played out as filler rather than actual character exploration. Yeah. Xavier's relapse is not important. Magneto's storyline isn't particularly important. The only good thing that comes out of it is when the two of them clash in the plane over yeah. what's happened to Raven specifically. And like Magneto's like, all of these brothers and sisters of ours who have died and you did nothing, you fucking coward. That's yeah. great. Like that is really, really good. And it builds on the idea of these two should be soulmates. They should be the best of, of friends of, 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 of you know, they should be the teachers that inspire that next generation. The foundation of agree on methods. Yeah. And, and Eric is completely right about Charles in that sequence. He's completely right about him. Yeah. I also love the idea. They give, they introduce something. So Magneto's locked up in the Pentagon because he killed JFK. And Charles has come to that conclusion because he's like, he killed JFK because it's like the bullet bent. The bullet curved, yeah. The bullet curved. Like Magneto killed him. And it's like, that's a, that's a film. That's a fucking film. And then it's even more solidified as a great idea for a film when we find out of Magneto that he's in jail for killing the president, but he didn't. He was trying to save him because JFK was a fucking mutant. Can we see that film? That would nope. be incredible. Like, I just... Like, and again, the alternate history implication of that. If JK had been a mutant and had come out as being a mutant publicly at some point during his presidency, how does that change the human-mutant relations? And, like, th- there's so much they could have done. It's nuts. Um, we get a bit of presidential stuff in this. We get Nixon, who's just basically like, Fuck! Oh um, yeah, they just got the, the the first Nixon impersonator they could find on Central Casting. Yeah, <laughs> create some missiles. <laughs> I am not a sentinel. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, although they, they, present, they present a unique idea in this film, which I never thought of before, that there's an escape hatch to the White House under the circular carpet emblem in the middle of the Oval Office. Mm. And that sounds weird, but as set design goes, I was like, "Well, oh, that's kind of cool." They sort of also, like they this... lift up a hatch in the floor in the middle of the Oval Office, and it's under where like the the seal is on the floor, the carpet. It's like, okay, I buy that. This film also sort of sets up the recurring theme that we get again in Apocalypse of just incredible destruction of property. Mm. That just of like landmarks and such that would be a huge deal. Football stadiums, the White House, so all, casually, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you get even more of yeah. it in Apocalypse, but yeah, so Jesus, yeah, which um, gets joked about in the next film we're going to talk about before it even comes out, which is fucking brilliant. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the Magneto lifting a stadium, cool, but at this point they're really suggesting Magneto being OP 
in the 70s compared to how he is in the present day timeline yeah. of the original movies like we knew he was powerful but like he needed power amplification that was the point so well to do a specific thing though yeah but still it's like we see him to do something we his powers cool, were not intended we see to him do. do cool shit but it's like you know it's, it's moving guns throwing cars around whereas at this point it's like i'm gonna lift an entire stadium and while i'm at it I'm going to snap up rail tracks to fill the... Now, that's a great idea. The Sentinels are made of space-age polymers because because of Magneto. Yeah. And other mutants who've been seen publicly, they make a point of being like, we're going to make these proof to the ones we're aware of, and then we will adapt them to any further threats we learn of. So Magneto hears that, and he's like, right, fuck that. And he breaks up the train tracks and basically, like, weaves puppet strings throughout the Sentinels. Yeah, which I, I think, think is a cool neat. idea, but then it makes no sense that he seems to also have their programming altered. No, he doesn't, because when he loses control of one, it tries to kill him. That's true. Well, no, no, he's, he's, he's literally physically no, puppeteering yeah, them. He, no, because he says, do what you were made to do, and then it sends off and it goes off on its own to kill Wolverine and Beast. And then when they like deflect or whatever, like they do the mutant thing, and he turns back and he's not doesn't register yeah. as mutant, it turns around and it sees Magneto and carries on with its mission. So it's like, hang on. How is it moving if it's full of metal on its own? If you're controlling it, why are you controlling it to attack you? What is going on? It's it's inconsistent. Well, he'll have made the metal flexible <clears throat> so yeah. he can use it as puppeteering. Like, can, can we talk about the green screen and CGI in that scene? The the train scene. It's fucking awful. Fucking squiffy, man. Really bad. The I, sense, a lot the of the Sentinels. effects in this look really cheap. Yeah. And again, both physical and practical. Like the, the Nicholas Holt beast suit looks awful. Mm. It's a, I mean, it's a vast improvement over first class, but it's still I don't not like the, the Nicholas Holt Beast design at all. And Which I one? It changes four times. <laughs> I don't like any of them. I think they're all really poorly executed. I, I think Nicholas Holt makes a nice Hank McCoy, but my issue here is Hank McCoy in these movies never acts like Hank McCoy of the, of the comics. Also, Hank McCoy It's, it's never is... the same dude. Like, I buy it in first class because he's younger and insecure and worried about, like, being outed and everything. So, like, yeah, he's, he's in a different place in his life. But in this film, the next one, and then Dark Phoenix, I'm like, that's not Beast. That's not Hank McCoy. Also, why would you Hank cast McCoy's Slender not a, not a fucking wuss. Like, he, he's, he's a gentle intellectual who throws down when it's the right thing to do to keep his, his family safe. Like, I, I mean, I would ask why you cast um slender little slip of a boy nicholas holt as the beast like it needs to be even straight off the bat without because, the blueness because brian singer be has been involved is... in the production of every single one of these movies <sighs> that's why yeah well i know that that's why i don't ask it i would yeah. ask that if i didn't already know that um but it's just your cast is the beast mm. and he's the beast before he's blue mm. he's fucking massive yeah he's a huge guy mm. you need someone beefier he's a chunky boy um like he's a fucking football star before he comes out as a mutant like yeah he's like he's like a college football um he's on a scholarship like superstar he's, yeah yeah and then it's when he's revealed to be a mutant, that's when everything goes a bit tits up for him. But yeah, like he's he want a fucking football player's physique, like an American football player's physique for this guy, not 
Twink. Yeah. Twink beast. It just doesn't work on any level, the casting of Nicholas Holt. There is an actor who I still can't decide if I like or not. I've never seen anything in anything him in anything where I'm like, oh my god, he's amazing. Fury Road. Oh, I'm entertained by him in Fury Road, but it's not necessarily an emotionally deep enough part mm. for me to sort of analyse it too much. The Favourite? Did you see him in The Favourite? No. He's no. very good in that. That's the um, Olivia, Olivia Coleman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I need to get around to that then. I think um, it's going on Star when Disney Plus co- when it comes to Disney Plus. Very cool. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence still kind of cares in this one. She's putting some effort in, in this. Not a lot, but she's putting some in. And it's just odd because at this point, we know what Mystique's end point is in the OG timeline. Yeah. And I don't buy that this is who that is. Especially because of how how conflicted her relationship is with I've Eric. N- Eric, I've never really bought that. Even before the events of this movie. Like, even before the events of this film, for them, they have been a brotherhood of mutants somewhere and parted ways and they they have a uh, a tense relationship and then obviously in this the reason why it's a tense relationship continuing to be that is because he's like yep i know about this future thing we've got to sort it out come on she's like no what the fuck are you doing i'm trying to assassinate this dude and save us all but i don't buy for a second that that's who she's gonna be i don't i don't buy anything about the film about the prequel version of Mystique being the same person as the as the original version of Mystique. I just don't yeah. buy it. I, I, it I doesn't mean, make any sense to me. I I I I could let it slide after first class because the the implication is that like she and Lencher are like the two constants in the Brotherhood going forward, and she just revels in like you know the 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 fighting for what she now believes is her true calling and her true cause like. I get that. Like like the, the bit where she talks to Kelly in the helicopter in the first film mm. matches with how she's led to feel by the end of first class. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. The problem is you've got fucking 40 years yeah. between that and that. Like It's like, it, it's just, it just doesn't fit. Yeah. It's, it's odd. And the fact that these movies have become this weird kind of, this, there's also this weird, so Xavier is, is her, is her essentially adopted brother, adoptive brother. Yeah. And Eric is her lover or former lover. But the way that Eric and Charles's lines are written to describe sort of how they both feel about her is it sort of imply overly implies a romantic relationship overall. It's like she's it's always like had a thing this... for Charles. But has but she? Well, he never reciprocated it. Yeah, in first class she cl- she's like clearly jealous of like the attention he puts on other women. Yeah, but she's also, like insecure. she's also his sister in terms of this family structure at that point. So that's always she felt odd to me. I always, like felt, I always felt it was more like she was annoyed that he now was putting his attention on other other girls because it was like no, oh, she's you, definitely, you and me, we're like you know the, we're, the, we're thick as thieves. But the implication is definitely that she's in love with Charles until Damn. until Magneto comes along. Great. So we have um, sort of incest adjacent relationships and love triangles going on well yeah um <sighs> jesus uh, that's so weird the, the x-men movie franchise seems to interpret oh love triangles that's an x-men thing as yeah. as the beginning and the end of the work you should put in 
Because yeah. the Logan Gene Scott thing is fucking ridiculous and makes no sense. We've talked about that in the previous two episodes about this. Like, Just do what they do in sense. the comics at the moment and Mama's a thruple. Why not? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, hey, Logan, stay away from my girl and get with me. <laughs> okay. Monday and Wednesday is my night. Tuesday and Thursday is Slim's night. Friday, we go together. What about Saturday and Sunday? We spoon with Beast. Um, <laughs> gotta say, Wolverine does a lot of Beast shaming in this film. There's a lot yeah, of jokes at Beast's beast expense. Because it's a shit um, Beast, that's why. <laughs> it's in-universe Wolverine going, this is a shit version of Beast. So, fuck this guy. Timelines and la la la. Um... Considering the marketing for this film, a lot of it was like, oh my god, these cast members like crossing over, isn't this incredible? There's only one scene where that happens, and it's McAvoy talking to Stuart. Yeah. I like that scene. Yeah. I, li- I, like, I, li- I like the I like the the X Menness of like him looking into Logan's mind stuff and like and going to the future like for a moment. Like projecting himself through Logan's, you know, connection to the future. And Charles being the only one in the room who notices that he's there and talks to him. Like, I like that. Um, but aside from that, I just... It's got some good set pieces. Some of the action is well paced. I like I like the whole idea that Logan basically is going to be fine as long as he doesn't freak out. Like, as long as something doesn't throw him off his thing. So, like, he even tries to, when he's fighting... In the past timeline, he's even trying to be less violent than he normally would do. It's like he's trying to sort of keep himself down to a certain level of aggression. Yeah. Which, of course, then gets triggered when he sees young Striker. And he starts to, like, he can't help it. Because it's just it's that trauma so deep-seated into him. Yeah. That he starts to react. And I like that, that, that 1973 Wolverine comes back. And it's like, who are you? What is this? And you're like, oh, God. Oh, shit. And Charles is, <laughs> he's like trying to explain something to him. he's like... You're on acid. <laughs> really bad acid. Really bad acid. <laughs> um, uh, and we can't yeah. leave this film without talking about the one scene that people do remember, which is the Pentagon breakout. Um, the Quicksilver I sequence. I really like that scene. I really like Quicksilver in this mm. scene. In it's this fun. Film. I it, really, really like him. But, but I also don't like the fact that they go, all right, the plot doesn't need you anymore, so see you later. Yeah, I mean... Like <laughs> I don't mind it because at this point we already have way too many characters yeah. and, and as a result it means that his 15 minutes in the film is probably the most enjoyable 15 minutes of the movie. Oh, hands down. Um, I think that'd have diminished returns if he was being shoehorned into the rest of it. Like, you know, they were trying to find an excuse for him to be there. Yeah. Um, But I, I, I dig it a lot. Evan Peters is incredibly charismatic. Um, And... You know, they give you that tiny bit of fan service, that whole, like, you can control metal. Huh. My mom knew a guy who could do that. And it's just a throwaway line, and that it works brilliantly, and it's one of the many reasons why I wish he was just in this film and left alone. Um, mm. I like it. I like his completely blasé attitude as well, when they rock up and he's just being fast and doesn't give a shit. And he's like, <clears throat> this, something hard to explain. Probably something that if you tell people about, they wouldn't believe you. And you just know that basically he's gone around, like, stealing shit. Or like <laughs> pulling pranks because he knows no one's ever going to bet. If anyone said anything, they'd be carted off, you know, in a in a, yeah. in, a, in, a, in, a in a wagon, taken away to the loony bin. It's like ha ha ha. 
Ha ha, you can't tell anyone about me because they'll think you're crazy. And it's sort of like, it, it's indicative of obviously how young and, and um, how much of a dickhead he is. Yeah. But based, based on his age and what the later film confirms, this means Magneto uh, helped conceive Quicksilver sometime in the States about 16, 17, maybe 20 years max ago. So before the events of first the main class. timeline of First Class. Well, it's conceivable he's been in the States. True, but dude was, dude was mostly touring Europe killing Nazis. <laughs> like, yeah, but no, no, when, did he, when did he stop to America? Have, when did he stop to have sex with a, with a, a homo sapien woman? Well, you no, know, because he was in South America. True. Yeah. So he would have yeah. been probably would have been in the states at some point before going south. That's true. Um, it's also weird that like they really set up the idea that Magneto is very sort of like no mutants, we have to stick together, and yet this film and the next film imply and show that he has romantic and sexual relationships with Homo sapien women. It's almost like they're inconsistent. <laughs> it's it's almost like. They don't care about the characters. They just make them do whatever they need to do to make the story move along. It's almost like that. Which at least gives us the Quicksilver breakout scene, which is brilliantly done. I love the idea that he's obviously like, his headphones are playing the music at a super fucking fast speed. So that it's, there was, it's kind of which, playing in normal time to us as we observe him which saving the day. By the fact that on Wednesday, I watched the entire run of Brass Eye. On Channel 4. Yeah. And I watched the cake episode. Well, I watched all of them. So it's the cake episode where <laughs> they're just getting random uh, celebrities to like play weird musical stings being like, this is music. On cake, it sound lasts for four hours and sounds like this. <laughs> and it just made me think of that. <laughs> So, yeah. Can we, that's do a, what, can we do a brass eye retrospective next Why time? the fuck not? Because it's very... It's only seven episodes. And it's very good. Well, no, because the, the next the next episode in this series, we get at least two really good movies. So, fingers crossed. Um, no, we get one really good movie. And one movie that's mostly good, but I have a lot of problems with. Oh, I've got issues with it, but I'm entertained by it. Um, I've got, I think I've got more there's issues one, with there's it. There's one than... big issue with it that... I think we'll definitely dive into, but yeah, fuck that. Let's talk about its predecessor. Okay, um, the next movie to come out is Deadpool, which came out Valentine's Day. Oh my god, it's like we planned it. We're recording this on Valentine's Day. <laughs> it came out on Valentine's. Oh my god, it came out on Valentine's Day five years ago. Yeah, Deadpool, twenty sixteen. And I will say, <clears throat> oh. some of the CG is starting to show its age, but yeah. this was made on no fucking money. Mm. Oh. So. There you uh, go. Important to remember. By a first-time this, this, director. This was made on like a quarter of the budget of Days of Future Past. Yeah. Um, and yet manages to not look anywhere near as cheap. And is also, up to this point in our chronology, the best fucking film in this series so far. As In terms of just its execution, yeah. the script, yeah, yeah. performances, characters, action set pieces. Um, I love that. It's that. the best film up to this point using the X-Men property. Um, first Class, one, and, have, first class one... and X2, maybe. But this is like, no. If you told me which X... If you laid out all the X-Men movies that we've watched so far for this in front of me, yeah. said, which one would you watch again? I'd, I'd be like Deadpool. Before we even finish the question, I'd be like Deadpool. 
I have one problem with Deadpool, which oh, I want to state now so I can get it out of the way and then we can just gush on it for a little bit. Oh, I love it when you gush. And it's a problem that's exacerbated even further in the second one. Yes. Rena Baccarin. Yes. Love her a bit. Yes. Think she's great in this. Yes. The character is a plot device. Yes. Like, she is just the yeah. prize for Wade. And then the sequel becomes his motivation by being... Well, well, we'll get to... We'll yeah. get to the... Yeah. yeah. Which is... But... Yeah. In this, it is literally the thing that the entire saves plot it is literally he wants to get the girl yeah. back. The and thing it just feels a bit regressive in that sense. The thing that saves it for me in this instance is her performance. Yeah, she's great. She, in she this. and Ryan Reynolds have such wonderful chemistry as as Vanessa mm. and, and Wade, respectively. That like. A lesser actor would have screamed plot device throughout the movie. Yeah. Whereas I think she, it's 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 the Rebecca Remain thing. It's like you know, Mystique has like four lines of dialogue, and yet she's hands down the best performance consistently in that trilogy yeah. of films. Yeah. Um, whereas Marina Baccarin in this is like so good. She is. So good. She's absolutely our lead's equal. She meets him blow for blow in conversation. The relationship is important because they genuinely make us both feel that it's important. I think retroactively, I noticed the plot device thing more because of how the character is serviced yeah, in the sequel. That's I think it's definitely a thing that I didn't... It was like, oh, they could have done a bit more with her in... When I first time I, first time I saw it, but then watching it again after having seen Deadpool two, I'm just like, oh no, wow, she really is just yeah. I mean, in this one, in the this motivation. one, she she deals with her own shit. She doesn't fuck around. Like when she's trapped in that chamber, she's fucked. Then the guitar, the the blades thrown in, and then she breaks herself out, slicing her fucking hands up in the process, but not giving a shit, and then stabs Francis. And it's like she's going for it. She doesn't, you know what I mean? Mm. It's not she's the only reason she gets damseled is because Francis knows that's the easiest way to get Wade to come out. Yeah. And you absolutely buy that Francis would, that Ajax would be, you know, oh, we'll just fucking kidnap his girlfriend. Do you know what I mean? So it's sort of like, it, it happens because yeah. the sort of character who thinks that is what he should do did it. But obviously that always happens, only happens because it's written in the first place. Yeah. Um, it doesn't bother me as much, but I think that's because I, I kind of view the two films as separate entities. I, I don't really think of them as a series. Um, no, okay. But that's again, that's that's just down, that's personal, uh, you know, vibes on it. I, I sort of think of it as Deadpool two of Deadpool two as its own Deadpool two as its own thing. Um, yeah. Uh, and 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 this, I I just as as far as like a standalone film in this series goes, it's like this and Logan for me, as as like oh those oh, yeah. work, yeah, those yeah, yeah. work so well. Um, Deadpool two has a lot. Again, we'll talk about Deadpool two when we actually get to it. But for, for, me, for me, for me, this it, is, this is an eight out of ten, and that one's like a six out of ten. Yeah, I might even go to a five. Like I think I still think it's better than most of the X Men 
films. Oh, oh, fucking leagues but above a lot of the other films in this franchise. I think it's also... It rests on one particular issue that... Got problems. Yeah. But we'll get into that. And um, beyond that, beyond the big problem as well. But, all right, bad stuff out of the way. Let's gush about how great Deadpool is. I love... <laughs> I it's love, so fucking good. I fucking love the Batman Begins um, narrative structure for this movie. Yeah. Because they don't overcomplicate it and it works. Like, it's a Deadpool film. You need to state your case from the off that this is the character that people have been reading for a couple decades. You are coming yeah. to watch his movie. It's not the version in X-Men Origins because the timeline has changed now, boys and girls. Ripples, etc. Despite the fact that that Wade Wilson was alive in the 80s and got experimented on in the 80s, but now he's experimented on the 2010s. These films are already confusing themselves. So... Um, that's okay because the timeline changed yeah i guess uh, angel is and alive timeline... and a mutant in the 2010s but he's also alive and a mutant in the early 80s Fucking well yeah hell. we'll get to that we'll get yeah. to that making even less sense this one makes sense they they the tone is nailed at the top perfectly yeah the opening title crawl of just the camera slowly panning through this frozen diorama of a car crash and people dying and falling over and being wedged and and just the, the cast, just the, oh God, like starring like a hot chick, gratuitous cameo, a CGI character, <laughs> a, Brit, a British villain, and like just written by the real heroes here. <laughs> like, it's very just, good. It's, it's very good. It doesn't get a proper opening titles. It, it's a joke one. It's like tone set. Um the interaction with Dupinder in the cab at the beginning, just completely setting up what sort of tone we're dealing with here. Like it's, and then, and then the first address to camera being completely, like it's, it's the, it's the first of like maybe two over fan references. One of them is, is the Deadpool from X-Men origins Wolverine action figure. Yeah. But the first one is the, is the whole like, Oh, they're like, Hello. I know, right? <laughs> like, just yeah. that one line is like, yeah. Everybody who's come to see this movie knowing who this character is is like, yeah, we fucking know. Like, we know. We're actually here. This is happening. It's a Deadpool movie after they already fucked up the character. And it's the best thing they've done it's in just... this franchise to this point. This movie, for those who don't know, after X-Men Origins Wolverine bombed, Ryan Reynolds was like, no, 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 I was promised Deadpool. I want to do Deadpool. What they gave me was not Deadpool. Like, I want to do it right. And he and Tim Miller, who'd mostly done video games at this point, it's like Tim Miller uh, mostly directed like video game cinematics, didn't he? It was sort of like yeah. his main thing. Uh, like the, the opening cinematic, which is fucking glorious, to uh, DC Universe Online is one of mm -hmm. his, for example. Um, which is so brilliant like it's such a visual treat that opening cinematic it's like damn can we have a cgi movie of this please damn um, son like he, he he and ryan reynolds and this team worked together on making this short which is basically like a a simplified obviously less polished version of like the highway attack on the on the vehicles and stuff yeah and they shopped it around to fox and tried to get it thingy and it was just banded around and ignored and given faint feedback and ignored ignored and then someone leaked it onto the internet and the fan reaction was so fucking huge that quote Fox unquote went. someone well it's one of four people it's either ryan reynolds tim miller or the two screenwriters 
I think I think Ryan Reynolds has all but confirmed that he did it. Yeah, because at this point he knew what it'd do, and it did exactly what it did. The internet lost their shit. Fans and yeah. property went, "We want this." People who didn't know what it was were like, "This is entertaining. We'd watch this." And the studio went, "Oh fuck!" So they gave them a budget, and then early in production went, "Actually, we can only give you two thirds of that budget," and it was like during the filming so they had to yeah. like, change their plans during the fucking filming they basically did everything they could to sabotage it yeah and then it was like one of their biggest box office grosses in 2016 comparative to its budget so fools um it's so much fun um something i noticed on this rewatch because this is probably my like fifth Maybe sixth time watching this yeah, movie? Yeah, I think I've probably seen this film more than I have any other X-Men film. Um, I realised, Summer, if you cut this movie chronologically, like if you if you went from him threatening the pizza delivery guy, fucking amazing scene, by the way. Mm. Uh, just the writing and the pacing of it is so good. If you cut from there, everything chronologically, like meeting Vanessa... Uh, the relationship developing, cancer diagnosis, going in for the experiments, you know, everything. Up to the montage, you know, sexy motherfucker, like, up yeah. to that montage. And then picked up from the end of that montage with the opening sequence with Dupinder and, and the highway chase. If you cut the film chronologically, Deadpool doesn't start talking to himself or... Or an audience until during the montage as he's crafting his identity. And none of the jokes before that chronologically are fourth wall breaking or at the expense of a pop culture reference that is specific to the X-Men films. They're all just way talking shit. The closest is don't let the super suit be green or animated. But even then, that's just Wade in universe saying don't give me a fucking stupid looking suit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I saw Green Lantern. It fucking sucked. Yeah. But, like, that's kind of interesting because it means that even in the world of the film, Wade has the delusion that there's someone else there watching him after his brain, like, his mind has snapped and he's losing his shit. Yeah. And that's kind of brilliant because if you did the film chronologically like that, you couldn't have that. You'd have to be talking to the audience from the top. Or they'd soften the fourth wall breaking stuff. Yeah, because it would be too much of a it. Yeah. leap from what you'd been used to for what forty-five minutes. Yeah, at that point. But in the logic of the movie, you stretch it out in a chronological structure. Yeah, it it it, it, t- it coincides with his fucking brain having been like starved of oxygen repeatedly for days, and him going like violently, erratically, you know. Um, into, the, into this revenge plan yeah so it's like sure so even in universe without them saying it he's probably talking to himself yeah it's like okay that's kind of that's kind of clever that's oh i and i only noticed it on this rewatch i was just like yeah all we hear of wade breaking the fourth wall during the flashbacks is the narration yep cut out the narration and there's no fourth wall breaking um which is also good because it means that you can really focus on the sincerity of his and Vanessa's relationship and let him yeah, run the backer and play off each other and 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 it not be fake. Um, TJ Miller's a twat, but uh, massive points to him and Ryan Reynolds for their back and forth improv on this film. Yeah. Uh, did you watch it on the Blu-ray? 
Yes. Did you watch the outtakes afterwards? No. So much of the outtakes is just them back and forthing in the, like, my God, you are haunting to look at. Like, it's just them improvising descriptions of what he looks like. And it's brilliant. It's like they've obviously just gone, you're two comedy performers. We're going to put two cameras on you. Talk. Just give us 85 different takes of this conversation and yeah. see what happens. This felt you can feel the improv freedom in this movie. Um, and that kind of gives it an energy that exists throughout the whole thing that everyone was having a good fucking time making it. Yeah. You can just feel that they're all having fun. Everyone wanted to do kinda this in a way you, that I don't think anyone ever has in the X-Men films. Well, it kind of helps when your director and producer isn't preying on all the young men on set. Oh, allegedly, but still. So, mm. you know, that helps. Um, it's also the fact that Reynolds and, uh, is it Reese and Warner and, um, is it Rhett Reese and Thingy Warner, the screenwriters? Uh, Rhett Reese. Rhett Reese and, and Paul Wernick. Wernick. So Reese and Wernick plus Tim Miller plus yeah. Ryan Reynolds have been wanting to make this film for nearly 10 years and definitely six years of aggressive, like, push for it to happen. You feel like they're going, oh my God, we're here. Let's make absolutely everything we can out of this. There are fan nods to the comic. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm not like hardcore Deadpool, but I've read, I've read all of the '90s. I've read all of the Joe Kelly stuff. Mm. Um, I devoured the Daniel Way run, um, and I've read some of the Marvel Now onwards stuff. Not a lot of it. I've read like the Dead Presidents arc and stuff, but I'm about, I'm about eight years behind now. Um, but I, I, I loves me some Deadpool. Like I really, really loves me some Deadpool. So. Little things make me smile. Um, like the the notion that his name still comes from people taking bets on who's going to die. But here, instead of it being... So in the comics, he's experimented on at the Weapon X facility. And he's like the next experiment along the lines. Because he's given Wolverine's healing. Like that's his superpower. He's given Wolverine's healing factor. Yeah. And they kind of imply that in this. All his power is the healing factor. Like they really set up the idea that no, the skills are already there. Like he he's done some shit. <laughs> He's done some dark shit for people over the years. Um, the healing Jacksonville. Fact- yeah. <laughs> God. Well, so even that, so in, in the original, the inmates would fight each other in, in the, the facility and people started taking bets within the facility over who would win. But, mm. but it was also secretly being monitored by the scientists who worked on them because they were seeing which ones were the strongest or which survived the Deadpool. And then they'd go forward to the next like range of torture and experiments. So in this, they kind of merge that with the um, the assassins like clubhouse from from the the um, uh, Joe Kelly run, and turn it into no. Every now and again, one of them dies either in a fight in the bar or on a job, and people place bets. And there's a Deadpool. It's like okay, sure they've merged the two together. That's kind of cool. You mentioned about Jacksonville. Fucking Bob Agent of Hydra makes a cameo yeah. appearance in the movie, albeit not Bob Agent of Hydra because they didn't own Hydra. Marvel and Disney did. So he's just Bob. Just henchman Bob. Henchman Bob. But it's like, oh, that's good. Because there's a recurring uh, sidekick character in a lot of the Deadpool run from the 2000s, folks. Bob, Agent of Hydra, who Deadpool basically like kidnaps during a mission fighting against Hydra and then ends up sticking around or keeps bumping into him at other things. Yeah, I think um, he's an agent of AIM later on. Yeah, <laughs> yes, he, he changes organisations later on to the thing. It's he just, might pop up in Hammer as well. It's great. Uh, Weasel, they completely recontextualise Weasel, but that's fine, it works for the film. 
Um, blind Al is essentially kept intact, which makes yeah. me very happy. She's an angry, blind old lady who fucking hates <laughs> everyone. And th- the idea is she was always meant to be like a like a, a wh- what if Aunt May was a twat? Like that was always basically meant to be yeah. her thing. And she's still kind of that, but their relationship in this actually has some genuine affection in it, which they expand on in the second one as well. Like there, there is a genuine respect and level of duty of care between the two of them to each other, even though they basically tell each other to suck a dick and everything like all the time. Um, <laughs> so you've got that, uh, which is great because there's this horrible bit in the '90s comics, the '90s early 2000s run, where you find out that he's got a room full of barbed wire in the attic that he occasionally locks her in when he's um, off on one. And we find out because Weasel like finds her when he comes to see her one day and finds her locked in there and Deadpool locks him in too. It's during that period when Deadpool was still played as like, a, this is a dangerous individual who, oh, we're having fun and games, but oh, oh dear. Yeah. And then Daniel Way kind of irons that out later. is like, no, he's, a, he's not a hero, but he's also not a monster anymore. He's grown a bit. So they move on from that. Suffice to say, Al and Weasel don't come back for a long time because of course they wouldn't. They wouldn't want no. to be near him. So I kind of like the recontextualization in this of like, no, they're all in a friend group and it's all a thing. And, and you know, he has friends. And of course he has friends. He's had to make friends because he can't, he doesn't want to show Vanessa his face after the experiment. I like that they don't shy away from the harsh reality of cancer. They don't, yeah. make, a, they don't make a joke of it. Like it's, it's, and, and, and again, it's refreshing. The fact that he's like that, this is the first person he's ever really settled with and the first person she's settled with. And they're, they're so like, I would watch a whole movie about them just having their sexual escapades in the montage period, like a rom-com that's just filthy. And it's just them two. I'd watch it. It'd be hilarious because they're so good in it. Um, and the fact that the movie was marketed, do you remember? As a, <laughs> like, as a romantic was, comedy. As a romantic comedy. There were posters in theaters of like Ryan Reynolds and Marena Baccarin walking hand in hand through like a cherry tree lane and everything. And it was like Deadpool, <laughs> December 14th. No hints of what it actually was about. Um, unless, of course, you walk further down the corridor and were like, hang on, that's the same film, that one with the dude in the mask. Wait, what? <laughs> it's kind of brilliant. Um, so, yeah, so, so there's, there's there's that. But uh, uh, it's, it's a unique take when he finds out that the cancer spread like pretty aggressively and he's very likely not got much longer than a year to live Mm. and his first instinct is to pack up and leave because he doesn't want to put her through the costs and the medical uh, side of it all and the mental pain and emotional pain of watching him die and her reaction is like nope like fucking stay in here we're gonna fight i I love it i just it's so well done and yeah. not played like they joke about it because that's how they deal with it to each other but they don't play that as a joke yeah which really helps sell how desperate he is to find a way to still be there for her and why he would undergo the experiment yeah um gina carano's in it she plays angel dust like i said earlier it's a nothing part it's 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 the thug it's it's the the bond villain henchman role Made more unique by the fact that it is, you know, an attractive woman with a slick back 80s hairdo instead of <laughs> a big burly, like, you know, hairy guy with a with knuckle dusters or whatever. It's like... Who does happen to be built like a brick shit house? Yeah, she's built like a brick shit house, but what, like, what I'm saying... And she's not even... She's like... the She's like the... <laughs> in terms of, like, the cast members, there's like five who are taller than her. Oh, yeah. Which I didn't realise till this watch. I was like, Jesus, everyone's taller than her. Um, and yet she's the one who goes up against Colossus. Um, 
the casting of her is what makes the part work. There's not mm. really anything more to it. Uh, her boss, however, holy shit. Can we talk about Ed Skeen? Ed Screen. Ed, Ed Screen's great. I really like Can Ed Screen. Can he be in more things, please? Because fuck, he's good. He's really good. I, he was going to be in the Hellboy reboot, and then until... he found out the character was was Asian. And he went, "I'm not doing that." Yeah, <laughs> he was he was offered the part, he was casted it, and then he found out when fans got in touch and said, "Like the part's normally Asian, like maybe you shouldn't do that." And he went, "Oh, yeah, no, fair point. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to be in it. I'm glad he wasn't in it because the film is shit." Don't fucking bother, uh, there, didn't he? But he's so good as Ajax, which. They imply is a code name he stole off a washing detergent. <laughs> and his name is Francis. And Deadpool really mocks him for that because obviously he clearly is insecure about it, which is why he's come up with a nickname for himself. <laughs> it's like, it's fucking brilliant. Um, Ajax is one of many forgettable Deadpool antagonists from the 90s run. They make him way more interesting here. So just leave it at that. Give us T-Ray next. Come on, Marvel, you cowards. Give us T-Ray. I want Dragon Ball hair and a plaster across the nose. Anyway, um, Deadpool, for those of the wondering, Deadpool doesn't have very many specific, Deadpool-specific antagonists. And so many of them that are in his rogues gallery were devised in the 90s and are embarrassingly 90s. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the later ones are much more interesting. Like Reverse Deadpool, who's just cast off body parts of his that have been chopped off over the years, that yeah. have sewn themselves into a creature and decided to like be their own thing and kill him because they're annoyed that he left them behind. With the one backwards arm. <laughs> it's fucking great. Um, so, yeah, I uh, he's great as Ajax. He's a lot of fun. Um, the inclusion of the X-Men makes sense because the 2000s run features a lot of stuff where like the, the 2010s run with Daniel Way features stuff where Deadpool's trying to reform mm. and he tries to join the X-Men and the X-Men are like, no. Well, around the same time he joins X-Force. Yes. And, and, and also a lot help- of his character development happens in X-Force. And he helps save the day in Secret Invasion. Yeah. Like, he, he is the one who Nick Fury basically contacts on the sly to give him the solution to killing the Skrull Queen and saving the world. Mm-hmm. Which, because of his tie-in with the Thunderbolts at that point, results in Norman Osborn killing Deadpool, or thinking he kills him, and taking it for himself. And then Norman Osborn saves the world, which leads into the events of Dark Avengers and, and Dark Reign and everything that comes after that. Which is great, because for a while it meant that like there was a whole thing where Deadpool was like, I'm going to fucking kill the Green Goblin. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to kill him. And he's kind of got it. He ends up coming up against the Thunderbolts. But it's like, so there's this period where he's now trying to be better. Yeah. Um, And, and they've, they've played on that in recent years with uh, with ongoing series like Spider-Man, Deadpool and things like that. But um, in this, this film, they're like, no, 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 he's not that yet. But the X-Men are at least trying to reach out to him. And the X-Men in question being Negasonic Teenage Warhead, played by Brianna Hildebrand. <laughs> Who's basically what a new character with shit, a that name, name for the is comics. so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, she's it's 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 the classic X-Men movie thing of Oh, Psylocke. Yeah, people love Psylocke. Um just give that girl purple hair and we'll call her Psylocke in the credits. Does she yeah. has Psylocke's powers. What? No. No, she's got a cool tattoo though. What, <laughs> what the fuck? Um, but she's great, and and again, it's one of those where like because she's she's a character from the Grant Morrison run, who's never I, really you say a character. She's, she's from the Grant a... Morrison run, 
she's rarely seen the light of day beyond that and then since the deadpool film the characters come back her powers have been recontextualized slightly so that they fit more with yeah. the movie version and she looks like the movie version now and it's like fair enough <laughs> like fair enough if that's what you want to do fair enough because brianna hildebrand is great in this yeah like, she's fantastic hi ripley from alien 3 God, you are old. <laughs> Fake laugh, hiding real pain. Um, so that's one thing that's really impressive about this. Deadpool never gets obnoxious, which is what I was so worried about going in. Mm. I was so worried, but he never does. And I think that's no. because they make sure that there is actual heart and relationships within the core of the film. Um. And they really do show that a lot of it is how he deals with pain yeah. and rejection. Um, so you can just kind of enjoy the Ryan Reynolds improv whilst also feeling that the character is hiding something and you sympathize with him a bit more because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, plus you get the fun of a revenge plot, a re- revenge fantasy narrative where he's going after Francis and a year's planning. <laughs> like beating up all those different people along the way. <laughs> oh my god, there's just so again the outtakes is full of alternate takes. You know the bit where um I'm trying to remember his name now, the guy who keeps calling Agent Smith. Oh yeah, I I don't I can't remember I don't think he actually has a name, does it? Um I'm having a quick look through the thing to see. Uh da da da. I think Wade just keeps calling oh, him a creepy uh, Je- dude. Jed Rees plays him. He's um from Galaxy Quest, of course. Yes. Uh, yes. Oh, <laughs> he's um, yeah. The, the, char- the character is recru- referred to as recruiter. Um, but finally like that bit hit. where he Fuck tracked it. him down in the montage, and he's just like Deadpool's, just like he's finally in the suit. And he's just yeah. sort of splayed out, all sexy, on top of like a pile of boxes. The amount of different lines they've got in the outtakes for that is nuts. My favorite one being, "I know I'm thirty years too young, uh, too old for you at this point, but how do I look?" <laughs> just like oh god um very good yeah it's uh (laughs) like he doesn't get obnoxious in it it just it works colossus wonderful interpretation of the character really good version of colossus because colossus is ultimately a good guy he is a good guy he's gone through arcs and different writers have done different things with him but he's he's a hero and we've not really seen any x-men in these movies just be heroes flat out they're a superhero um, at the end of X-Men uh, Apocalypse which comes after this obviously but like they kind of implied that that's the beginning of the X-Men becoming a superhero team like properly so within this new timeline that's been created you could buy that in the present day Colossus is a fucking hero mm. and he's training um, Negasonic Teenage Warhead to be an X-Man and um, he wants to bring Deadpool in because he's like look he only ever goes after bad people. What he's doing is wrong, but we can bring him in. Because Deadpool's not a mutant, but he's been mutated, and Colossus is like, we'll bring you in. Like, yeah. you will work with you. And I like the idea that, that Colossus has a goal. He's like, no, you're a good person. I know you are. Like, and we'll bring you in. And it results in some really fun fucking fight scenes where Deadpool's <laughs> just breaking his limbs, punching Colossus. <laughs> Colossus just sitting there being like, what? This is stupid. What? 
Why are you doing this? It's when he reaches behind, the, his hand touches the crotch. He turns around, he grabs like Colossus's penis and goes, Dad? <laughs> and then later on, when he punches him in the crotch and he breaks his wrist, he goes, Oh, your poor wife. <laughs> it's just full of little zingy one-liners. It... The counting of the bullets sequence in, in the second part very, of the highway Very, very well-constructed action sequences, yeah. Oh, so good. Um, just, I mean, like, the fight scene between him and Francis, like the last sort of purely serious, non-jokey sequence yeah. in the burning facility while they're just beating the shit out of each other is like, it, 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 before the, sort of before the second act kicks in, it's like, oh, God, that's so upsetting to watch and, and brutal. And, oh, just that's something I love yeah, about that's really something I love about use... the sequel is the sequel goes in on again even more on what can we do with this character that we can't really do with other characters. They really use every inch of their like higher rating. Mm. I mean fucking hell they're not holding back just like every other second. Yeah. But it never feels gratuitous. Which they it act- does in the, the X Men movies. X Men movies when they do it. Which and they, they it suddenly what? after first class they suddenly developed a hard on for doing it. And I don't understand it. Well, it gets it gets it gets more and more out of place in each X Men movie as it goes on. Well, speaking of hard on, I'm pleasuring yeah. I'm pleasuring myself tonight. Um, <laughs> I love Deadpool a lot. I really enjoy it. It's I, really I, good. I love the spelling um, out of Francis and the dead bodies at the end. Um, <laughs> I love the Dupin, Dupinder and uh, uh, Bantu <laughs> subplot. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, fucking great. Like, how dare you release him this instant? Kill him. <laughs> it's very good. It's like, I am very, very mad at you. Proud of you. <laughs> like, it's just... That stuff is wonderful. It's, like it the lot. Blind Owl stuff is amazing. That I bet it feels big, even bigger in this hand. Um, <laughs> the ongoing discussions about Ikea furniture with the correct pronunciations of the, of the <laughs> Swedish furniture names. Um... <laughs> like I, I, there, there's there's yeah. there's about one point uh was it 1.3 kilos of cocaine stashed somewhere in the apartment next to the cure for blindness good luck <laughs> oh, stanley's uh, yeah. cameo stanley's cameo in this movie oh yeah the strip joint glorious let's give it up for chastity <laughs> oh my god because the way the shot's done, it's like, this is like one of the last cameos where they definitely got him down to the set. Like, yeah. he is in a strip club <laughs> with a bunch of completely naked women. <laughs> There's just Stan Lee just there, just DJing and <laughs> looking happy as Larry. Happy as Stan Lieber. Stan Lee Lieber. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Right, his cousin Larry Lieber. Because um, his next his next Deadpool cameo came in the teaser trailer for Deadpool 2. Yeah, which came out a year before Deadpool two, where Deadpool basically like goes to save somebody being attacked in an alley, like a superhero, and he does the Superman getting changed to the phone booth, and it takes him like ten minutes because he can't quite like get the angles right. <laughs> and then he comes out the thing, and Stanley's like, "Hey, Spider Man, nice costume." <laughs> He's like, "Zip it, Stanley!" <laughs> like that's that's his like last live action cameo with a Fox thing. Um, the next one appears in. The next film we have to talk about, which is also Joan Lee's last cameo as well. It's the last cameo yeah. she makes. Yeah. They uh, 
and it's a weird one to have them in. Like, what a weirdly distracting moment to pick. Again, there's just something about the Fox movies. Their tonal dissonance is... It, 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 it's, it's, it's off the charts. And nowhere is it more off the charts than X-Men Apocalypse. Oh, fuck this movie so hard. Matt, tell them it's... the plot of X-Men Apocalypse. <sighs> While I eat this biscuit and try not to cry. So, it's 1983, because reasons... <laughs> And the first mutant, En Sabaneur, has been resurrected to gather his four horsemen and do a thing that's going to wipe out humanity, probably. And... We, we know it doesn't because we've seen the future timeline. Like, it just... It's just nonsense from mm. beginning to end. It is taking a bunch of actors who are really cool and some who are not <laughs> and just doing nothing with them. Like it starts with this really neat action sequence of ancient Egypt and Ensabana. They never call him Apocalypse. Yeah, they refer to what he brings about as the Apocalypse and that's the closest you get. Yeah, but they never call him Apocalypse. But we're going to call him Apocalypse. Yeah. Oscar Isaac in full-on Ivanhoe's cosplay. Like, the, the fucking makeup and costume for Apocalypse sucks. Do you know what? It, on this what this is my second time watching it. Watching it for this podcast. Yeah. And the thing I realised is, they only needed to make one change for it to be less awful in his costume. And that is, not have this weird, like, dome-like headpiece. Yeah. Lower it into a big fucking collar, like Apocalypse usually has. Yeah. If it was a big collar with his head just sort of like resting within it, he'd have a shape to his head. He could move his head more. He could be a bit more physically animated with his performance if he chose to. Instead, it looks like he's been put into a costume that is just easy to recreate. It looks yeah. like a, a a costume that they'd create with a theme park version in mind. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like you put this head bit on and then we'll do a bit of makeup on your mouth and then we'll do that. And it's, it's odd, because if that alone makes him look stiff, which makes him look like a Power Rangers monster. Yes. Um, I, in fact, so, I, think, I think the Ivan Ooze comparisons are an insult to Ivan Ooze. Yeah. Because he moves. That's a great outfit. <laughs> um, I love so, his bird minions. The big crows. <laughs> they're my favourite. <laughs> So we get this neat opening sequence in ancient Egypt where he's going to his big pyramid and he's going to do a body swap mm-hmm. so he can be young again. And Because the implication anyway, is he's, he's the first, well, he says he's the first mutant. And the idea is that he's like, yeah. you only exist because I exist. Meaning I fucked around a lot and that kept <laughs> kept the bloodline going in different people across the generations. But he, he essentially achieved immortality by transferring from body to body as his body yeah. grew old. And gaining those bodies' powers as he did so. Which I don't I don't hate. Is that part so, of the comics for him? Because I thought it was just he was not he was really. ageless. Not as I, far as I remember. I don't hate that as a replacement for that then, because it at least sort of is like, oh, so that's how he acquires like nearly every power, because it's just Yeah. He uses a mutant body as his new template. But also he's got this weird sort of technology looking shit, which they never explain. Yeah, like wires coming out of his head and stuff. Yeah. Uh, they which never which really... we know he doesn't need, because when we see him first transfer into Oscar Isaac's body, like naked, yeah. bald Oscar Isaac um, at the beginning, 
he just turns blue and his face kind of has the markings on it and that's it. Yeah. And then like one of his horsemen like telekinesis is the uniform onto him and you're like, yeah. Why? Again, again, a thing that they cut from the comics is that that's all celestial tech and celestial armor, which they couldn't really do in the comics because in the films because of rights, mm. uh, but they don't offer any explanation for it mm. beyond him being old as balls. I um, mean, they, they could have made a thing of like, it's an ancient alien, whatever. And then the next film, where our villains are aliens, yeah. could have set up the idea that that tech being awoken sent out a signal, and I don't know. But no. 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 No, that's all right. The next film's about Jean discovering the Phoenix powers, despite this movie no. ending with her using the Phoenix powers. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, you get this new action sequence, and he's in pr- and he's does- he completes the body transfer, but he's imprisoned beneath presumably somewhere in Egypt. <laughs> and then you get a scene with Moira McTaggart. Mm. 20 years after her last appearance. Who has not aged a day to the point where when Charles finds her using Cerebro, he says she looks like she hasn't aged a day. So bear in mind, all of the, rec- all of the returning characters from X-Men First Class who were <laughs> in this film are supposed to be 20 years older. Yes. <clears throat> Alex Summers, Havoc, is supposed to be 20 years older so, uh, than he so was at in the very least, class. If we assume that he was maybe, let's say he was 15, uh, uh, you know, slightly more adult-looking 15 in first class, for the sake of safety, let's say he's 15, we can buy yeah. that he was a younger mutant. That would make him 35. And he has He looks about brother. 25. <laughs> he has a brother who's in high school. Yeah. A younger brother in high school. Yeah. Um. So, that's yeah. Just to reiterate, the, the main plot of First Class takes place in 1962. Mm-hmm. So it's 21 years later. 21 years later. Jesus um, Christ! Fucking oh my God. McAvoy and Fassbender don't look any older because they're really not. It, of feel, course, it feels. It feels look any older. It feels like Magneto could be because they show that. A lot's happened since we last saw him. He has so, a daughter now. So that's kind of with a daughter. That kind of at least says to your says to your brain, right? He's older because he's gone through shit. Like things have happened. He's older. Yeah. But Xavier looks the same as he did in the last one, except his hair's longer. I'm gonna tell you something right now, Chris. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you something right now. You could. This movie's like two and a half hours long. Oh, it's longer than that. It's longer than this that. Movie's like I, I know, three but years I, long. I know, but yeah, there it is. That's accurate. That's accurate. <laughs> you could cut. I know why they did it because Michael Fassbender's great, but they could have cut Magneto from this film entirely. Mm, yeah, I've had a different mutant to do something different with, like the day the sort of weird <clears throat> Earth moving thing in. In the finale, I have it like as a mutant who can like manipulate. I've an extremely powerful telekinetic, like I don't know, Jean Grey. Well, what, or, did, what uh, did what did the Earth moving achieve? Really, just there was some swirling patterns in different cities. So the metal. idea is is that Apocalypse ends up using Magneto's powers to basically upend the Earth yeah. and wipe out anything that human civilization has built since the Bronze Age, essentially. Right. So they can start again. Oh, for fuck's sake. So, 
Um, but you could cut Magneto <sighs> from this movie entirely because literally they give him a wife and child. Yeah. Only to immediately kill off His said wife, wife and, child. and child to give him a motivation to join Apocalypse and become involved in the plot. Because again, for those who don't know, the comics, Apocalypse always recruits four horsemen, which essentially are the people who do his dirty work for him. Yeah. Um, and it's usually powerful mutants, or at the very least mutants with a unique ability that could help him further his plot. And they're not exactly doing it of sound mind. It's kind of like a corruption thing. It's like if yeah. he selects you, you're effectively, you know twin universe bad guy version of yourself as long as you're under his like power yes so wolverine has been a horseman of apocalypse magneto has been a horseman of apocalypse one of the more famous ones is angel because archangels are design people thought was quite cool um you know it, it, that's how it works <clears throat> in this film they do that but they don't imply that he has a power over them no because he, he's, he's he's explicitly not telepathic because he wants to take over Charles's body to get that ability to get that ability yeah um so but so storm joins because basically he enhances her powers and she goes from being a thief in cairo to being like i could be a hero like mystique storm the mutant, on the never tv named. from 10 years ago yep never named never named aurora never named storm um so there's that um I like that they did the, the Angel, thief in Cairo part of a background. But. Yeah, but it's weird that that's the only part of a background they use. And yeah. it, she goes from being thief in Cairo to being uh, accomplice of a world-ending supervillain. Yeah. Because he made her hair white. Um, <sighs> Angel joins in because Angel's been abused in fighting rings, which is an interesting story. You could tell a whole story about that, like mutants being rounded up on the underground and forced to fight. Um, and they don't really go into it. Um, beyond him getting his wings damaged in a fight with Nightcrawler. And then Apocalypse gives him metal wings. So now Angel's with Apocalypse. Yep. For reasons, even though he doesn't really bring anything to the table of the world takeover plot. Nope. Same as Psylocke, who basically joins because she meets Apocalypse and threatens him. And Apocalypse is like, all right, you could threaten me. Or I could make you a bit more powerful and you can join she me. Joins and she goes, because someone right. wanted to put Olivia Moon ah. in that. Ah, and in stop that, that thought, stop that thought, because here is the answer to that. I've done a bit of reading. The person who wanted to put Olivia Munn into the Psylocke outfit, i.e. big boots, thighs on show, cleavage window, ninja, you know, latexy, what's it, was Olivia Munn. It's a part she's wanted to play since she was reading comics in her teenage years. When she found out the opportunity came up, she auditioned and had meetings with the studio. She campaigned. She got the part. When they started to show her the costume concept designs for the Apocalypse armor, because obviously he like gives everyone a costume. She yeah, went, yeah, she didn't get yeah, a scene of him putting she, everyone in armor. She went, no, because what they were showing her was like armor plated. All that. She went, no. She was like, I want to look like Psylocke. Because prior to that, there was no costume in the in the in the design stage that looked like Psylocke's. And she was like, no, I want to look like Psylocke. I want to play Psylocke. I want to look like it's Psylocke. A bad costume, though. Which is why she starts in that and ends in that. They, they basically imply that that's what she's already wearing, so she sticks with it. Um, But then, all Psylocke does in there, and Psylocke is a big fan favourite character. All she does in this is strong arm for Caliban, 
then Apocalypse gives her slightly spikier psychic blades. <laughs> so she joins him, seems to take pleasure in beating the fuck out of the X-Men. Yeah. And then, at the end, doesn't join in to help fight Apocalypse. She flees in like a, oh, you'll see me again kind of sneaky moment. Which apparently was supposed to be set up for X-Force. Yeah. And and at one point, Gambit. Apparently it was going to tie into Gambit at one point. Yeah. So, um, Olivia Munn got shafted, but at least she got to wear the costume she wanted to wear. Apparently it was a fucking nightmare, though. What, wearing it? Yeah. Of course it is. It's going to chafe like a bastard. Apparently it popped open. Jesus. Olivia Munn is... Um, she exposed her she, undercarriage. She, she, oh, the bottom popped open. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, at least they don't go as thin as the comics, but that's still not much coverage down there. No, no. Um, I thought you were going to say she popped open at the top. I was like, yeah, it does look in several scenes like her upper body's going, maybe a bit more room in this? For my breasts, please. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't have think it's rather sizable breasts. I guess I get the explanation of why she, she wanted to do that, but at like the she, same time, she, she really—it's the same as um, who was it? There's someone in the MCU who like really wanted to wear the comic book one. I can't remember who it is now. Might be might be Chris Evans or someone. Someone who was like looking at the old designs and going, "Oh, can it be a bit more like the comic book one?" And just was like, "I want to wear the comic book one." And so they like, "Okay, sure," and doubled down on the color scheme and everything. Um, she was like that with her. She was like, I've always wanted to play Psylocke. I've always wanted to play Betsy Braddock and I don't want to not look like her. I want to look like her. Like she dyed her hair purple and everything. It was just like, okay, you're going for it. Uh, but Psylocke joins Apocalypse just cause. Yeah. <clears throat> just like Angel. There's a lot of characters in this. Caliban. Well, I'll say there's a lot of characters in this. There's a lot of people in mm. this saying words Isn't it but weird? i don't think any of them are actually characters we get two co- two interpretations in this new timeline so they're already fucking it up more on that in the next ex-membrance episode yeah we get two interpretations of caliban and both of them specifically are adaptations of his like uh weaker form from his like first appearance yeah before he became <laughs> a horseman of apocalypse yeah a big roided fucking beast creature that then stays like that after he's not a horseman anymore. So he's in this, obviously, to reference the fact that he's been a horseman. But all he is is some sort of fucking Richard O'Brien motherfucker. <laughs> like, talking in the uh, in the third person. Um, and that's it. Mystique. So since the events of the last film, the oh, last ten years, Jennifer Lawrence does not give a fuck <laughs> in this movie. Mystique has been, <clears throat> and she's like third billing, I think, for this. Mystique, yeah, Mystique has been essentially freedom fighting on the quiet for ten years. Yeah, because she, you, we, we get introduced to her freeing Nightcrawler, rescuing Nightcrawler from this uh, underground, uh, like fighting ring. Mm. Which is, again, a cool sequence, and I'd rather watch a film about that. Like, wow, a mutant who's secretly trying to free all of the mutants from like this underground shit. That, that's yep. that's a film. It's just one sequence. Um, And she... And Nightcrawler's like, you're her, you're a hero. She's like, I'm not a hero. And we learn that Storm's got like a poster of her on a wall in Cairo. And Yeah, um, she's been sort of hailed as a folk hero after... 
stopping Magneto. Yeah, which is weird because the only footage people really actually have from the end of the last chronological movie is footage of her limping away from Magneto at the Paris Accords, but apparently there's also someone was filming on site of her stopping Magneto. Well, there were, the there were cameras on at Washington. Yeah, but it's, it, I don't know. Because Magneto puts them on him, because we see a bit of that footage in ah, there. That's true. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. I was going to say it felt revisionist, but you're right. He 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 gives himself the spotlight first, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, because the whole thing was like, I'm going to execute everyone on on television to, to give them a message of, uh, fuck off mutants. But then after that fails, I'm actually going to go and live <laughs> out a quiet life in Poland and pretend to be human. Because I do things... Well, the, the, the story arc they try to give Magneto in this is like he's destined to be a murderer, whether he wants to be one or not. But like he spent at least 15 years of his life, according to First Class, tracking down Nazis and killing them in, in the pursuit of finding what happened to um, Sebastian Shaw. And then Days of Future Past shows that he's actually been trying to save mutants since so he's been doing that like the brotherhood eventually led to him trying to save mutants and liberate them including yeah. saving jfk a secret mutant from assassination and then in um this one it's like uh, at the, the end of that film he's pushed so far that he's like no fuck it i've seen what ends up ha- i've heard what ends up happening now i was right all along and i'm gonna fucking start a mutant revolution right here and now and then no he doesn't he pisses off and Starts a family in Poland. He immediately gives up after being taught after after getting a stern talking to from Mystique. Yeah, and then and then, and then Spencer's going like, "Maybe I'm destined to be a monster." And you're like, "Okay, so you, Eric, who at this point has got to be in your late forties at the earliest, definitely early fifties, maybe, is living a constant tragedy." And so goes. I guess I'll just be the strong man monster for this this blue guy and help him take over the world. I guess. And you're like. No, fuck off. Yeah, no, it just that's doesn't not... need to be in this film. No. At all. The reason he's in this film is because they obviously have a hard-on at this point for keeping Magneto in every movie. Yep. It's really, really weird. Like, we were going to get an X-Men Origins Magneto movie, which some scenes from it were truncated into first class and are, hands down, some of the best scenes in first class. Um, But, like, this would be like if every Batman film had the Joker in it. Yeah. It's it's like you only appreciate the best enemy of the of an antagonist of the team if you see them occasionally and it's a big fucking deal. So it works well in the first two X Men movies because you know it's this might be the only X Men movie. Magneto's got to be the villain. Here we go. Second one, great. It's an uneasy alliance, and then he twists it to his own his own scheme at the end. It's like okay, fair enough. Third one, it's like wow he's suddenly really like he's gone all radicalization-y instead of supervillain this is weird mckellen's having a ball but the script doesn't quite make sense no this is strange and then you know fastbender obviously renews interest in it and does really well in first class and they keep him around it's, it's like you don't have to have him in every film but i no. guess you do because it means now set our, our sequel he's in the pentagon because he's been up to this they free him and he joins the plot this one he's got a family he's up to that Something happens and he joins the plot. In the they next, just kill his family. In the they next, kill his family and he joins the plot. In the next one, he started a basic proto version of Genosha to keep mutants safe from harm. And yeah. then he joins the plot. And you're like, yeah. what is... Just it's leave him out of just... the films. Fastbender's fun in the part, but just like... He doesn't need to be in every movie. 
Just stop. Just stop it. Just stop it. It's just so This weird. movie's too long. There's too much going on. You don't have to shoehorn Magneto but, into but it. But Matt, he gets to say, who the fuck are you? So, you know. Just, why do you have to have someone say fuck in this film? Why? The worst one's yet to come. Speaking, of, speak, yet speaking to come. of the person to, to make the, the worst fucking delivery, should we, can we talk about uh, Ty Sheridan? No, do we have to? I don't think he's that bad in this. I no, just, I just feel like... Do you remember ages ago I, I pitched the MCU X-Men film and it should be like sci-fi Harry Potter yeah. and there should already be a team of X-Men that operate on the quiet, maybe consisting yeah. of like Beast, Storm, maybe Wolverine if you want to The actual first class. Well, no. Well, yes and no, because what, what I thought was like you could have a... Co- basically use the X-Men evolution route and have like, you know... Like like Storm Beast, a couple of the ones who are usually perceived as older, have yeah. them already in the teaching positions and doing some covert stuff, and then they get captured, and you have the recent recruits of, like Kitty, Iceman, Gene, Scott, and and like Warren, mm. and they spy kids that shit. They like steal the X jet and they they try and rescue him. You do an you know the Incredibles. Spy Kids, that kind of plot where the younger lot yeah. go out and try and save the day. Yeah, and, yeah. I and and that way it becomes a franchise about teens and you focus more on that and you can have mm. the fun of like learning your powers and because that's something that none of the films have really done, like the whole learning about your powers and developing it outside of maybe the first Ant-Man movie. Like Ant-Man and Doctor Strange are sort of the only two I can think of where it's about learning your powers. Yeah. Um, And you can have more fun with that with kids. And... and you should do something like that. Uh, why the fuck did I bring that up? Oh yeah, this film kind of has an element of that in that Gene, Nightcrawler, and Scott chase after those who are kidnapped to save them from Stryker because Alkali Lake is in this now. Again, you could cut all the Weapon X stuff from this. I mean, you could cut it so easily because if you look at the credits, the only reason you know that sequence exists is because Stryker's in the credits. Hugh Jackman is uncredited. He's not in the credits. It's an uncredited cameo. Um, so now in the timeline, Stryker, that was actually Stryker and not Mystique disguised as Stryker some, for some reason, took Well, they re- clearly have some enmi- enmity. Yeah. But again, it's hinted at a more interesting story you never see. Yep. He's taken to Alkali Lake. The Wolverine's taken to Alkali Lake and over the course of 10 years has experimented on. And they free him to cause a distraction. And he, it's it's admittedly like as just a fan of Wolverine. It's like, oh shit, this is the how I always imagined like this would play out in a film, like the, yeah. the, the, the Weapon X escape, right down to the fucking you know the shorts and the wires sticking out of him and the weird helmet shit and his hair's feral as fuck and it's like, okay, this is it's cool, but my brain's also reminding me that we've seen this twice already, yep. and neither of them line up. Um, it's fucking weird. And then the fact that Gene calms him down and although it is kind of cathartic when he kills the guard played by Brian Singer, uh, Gene, <laughs> Gene calms him down and you hear sort of in his head the word Logan and he sort of calms down and he takes the wires out of his body and he runs out through the escape into the wilderness and it's like, what happened? It's like, I, they've, like, it's, they've taken so much from him. I gave him back 
like a piece of what I could find. I don't hate the idea that like, of course he's complete in this timeline. He's completely fucking feral. It's not like in origins where he just undergoes one procedure and then leaves yeah. and he's got some, he doesn't have any memory loss, does he in origins? Cause the twist is he gets shot by the adamantium bullet. Like, whereas in, whereas in this, like, he's got memory loss, so he wouldn't remember anything. He's just a feral creature. So I kind of like the idea that it's, it's a neat twist on it that someone's, like, given him at least that name. Like, that's yeah. what she could find. Yeah. So he's got that name, and that's all he has to go off of. But it, why Gene? And then the whole Cyclops, like, hope we don't see him again. It's like, oh, for God's sake. Has Quicksilver just been hanging out in the same basement for 10 years? That's, I thought exactly the same thing. Ten years. It's been ten years. Now, to be fair, if you were a super-powered kleptomaniac mutant who steals shit and lives in your mom's basement, and his mom clearly loves him and is like doesn't want him to get hurt, so would be fine with him staying at home, I guess, if it meant that he could be protected and safe in his like you know his basement bedroom hangout club, because he's never going to be like spotted or 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 dissected or arrested or whatever if if he's not like above ground drawing attention to himself. I buy that. But for 10 years, he's gone, oh, that guy I helped free from the prison then tried to kill the president, and I felt guilty about it. And mum has at some point off camera revealed to me that that was my dad. And in the first film, it works fine, because it's a cool, like, sequence, and it's a nod to the fact that that's his dad in the comics. But then in this, they turn it into a plot point that they then do nothing with. Yep. I can't. Because, rem- I can't remember Dark Phoenix, but he doesn't tell him in that either, does he? Um, I don't believe so. I don't know. Just I can't remember much about Dark Phoenix. It's also weird that Raven like appeals to Eric's better nature, and you can see Fassbender like taking it in and using what he knows of the character so far, and he's like he's crying while he's talking to. Him. He's not like sobbing, but his his eyes are fucking well. They're not like crazy. Yeah. And then he just turns to Quicksilver and goes, "And you? Why are you here?" It's like. Why would he say that? He wouldn't give a fuck about this kid. He wouldn't care. Like, but he'd recognise him, wouldn't he? He'd recognise him, but he wouldn't go, and why are you here, boy? State your case. Unless, of <laughs> State course... your purpose to the plot. Unless, of course, they were teeing it up for him to go, I'm your son. Like, you actually have family. Do you know what I mean? Well, That's he just- does it. But he doesn't. He, he says, d- like, he I'm here for it. my family too. He says, like, I'm your... <clears throat> I'm here for my family too. He starts to say it. Yeah. And, and then, then they, they do nothing they with go it. back on it. So yeah, they do nothing with it. It's bullshit. Um, Beast can now just transform at will. Yeah. In the last film, they play on the fact that he does it by suppressing it with the the injections, and but now it's like no, he just does it. Also, Mystique looks like Jennifer Lawrence a lot of the time now, even when she's at home or with the other mutants. And when she does go blue, it looks awful. Not as bad as the next one, though. No. Jesus Christ! This one, this one's fucking Oscar-worthy makeup compared to Dark Phoenix. But, um, but it is the first time she looks like a cartoon. She looks really bad in this. She's lo- um, she's luminous blue, which is weird because Nightcrawler's in it and he looks great. Yeah. Um. What's his name? The, the Cody Smith McPhee. Cody Smith McPhee does a great job, and again, really like Nightcrawler in this. There's not he looks great. He's not given good Think dialogue. He's a good actor. He's given like one random throwaway line of dialogue to reference X Men Two. Yeah. Um. Uh, and and that's it. My favorite moment in the whole film was a, just a little performance choice he made, 
where he's telling them to get away from the cell door because Scott's yeah. gonna blast it open. And he go and he goes, on 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 to count of three. Ein and he sort of lifts up one finger, one of his two big fingers, and he goes, Ein. Yeah. You sort of see his face go, wait, and he goes, Two. So he's already corrected the language. And then he says three and suddenly realizes he doesn't have a third finger to hold up. And <laughs> well, it's just thumb, this, but yeah, he doesn't. It's just this little, and he's sort of like, um, and then the door blasts open. It's like, you, like Rebecca Remain before you, have gone, they're giving me fuck all to work with in this script. I'm going to make some choices. And, and he's charming. He's really sweet. Yeah. And the film obviously decided that they wanted more of him at the very least, because it fucking throws Jubilee in a bin halfway through. Literally. They made a whole big thing about Jubilee being in this film. I'm Fan favourite. Like Jubilee. Fan favourite Jubilee. She's, not, ju- she's, not, just in, she's not just in the background this time. In this continuity, she's one of the cast in two scenes. Like, she goes <laughs> on that outing to the <clears throat> mall, but then she doesn't come with them on the rescue mission. Yep. She just gets forgotten. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. poor Jubes. I don't give a shit about her. She's there to make a jab at X-Men The Last Stand, though. That's why. Also. Um, that entire, the entire Return of the Jedi bit, just basically an excuse for them to make a, a, a jab at X-Men The Last Stand. That's the only reason that moment exists. In the narrative, it's so some of them could be off the premises and arrive after and the explosion. And also, it's the third movie in this trilogy. <clears throat> so it backfires. And it yeah. is hands down out of... First class, Days of Future Past, and Apocalypse. This is the worst. Oh, it's really it's and it's and it's not just like not as good as it is very bad. Mm. Like yeah. they took it, they did, it. It looks a lot cheaper. Do you want to know the secret origin as to why Professor X is bald? Oh, I hate that. I hate that. Why do we? Why does he have to have a magic like? mutant escapade related reason to him being bald like he can just go fucking bald he's in his 50s by or supposed to be in his 50s by this point he can just go bald motherfuckers go bald all the time Patrick Stewart was fucking bald by the time he was like 30 it's the fact that he's been in in a wheelchair now consistently for at least like consistently for 10 years and and inconsistently for 20 years but is fucking I'm filming split ripped. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just like, what? He does a lot of upper body stuff. It's fine. He, do, um, he does, but it's just like that whole, you do not look like you're in your 50s. You look like a very no. fit man in his late 30s. And they 30s. keep slashing back to first class and his future But Matt, past he's younger because his hair's shorter. years ago. He's younger because his haircut's shorter, Matt. It's like it wasn't 20 years ago. There is no fucking way Quicksilver is 10 years older than he was in Days of Future Past. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> it's like, you got Jennifer Lawrence turning around to Sophie Turner and saying, you know, when I was about your age, I was in this planet at the same time. It's like, you basically look the same fucking age because you put Sophie Turner in things that make her look really old because unlike a lot of American actresses of the same age, she's not willowy. She's broad-shouldered. She's quite tall. She's a, she's got a, she's got a, like, a, a, a not full figure because she's not fat, but she's like, she's got a sort of a squarer outline. Yeah. Like <clears throat> big hips, big shoulders. She's tall. also she's also rocking like fucking big Disney, neck. Disney princess hair as well. Yeah, like she cuts the silhouette. It's like, can we can we talk about her a bit yeah, as well? But they keep they they dress her so unflatteringly in this. Oh yeah, like it, they just make her look, and they make her look 
way older than she is. So you got that moment where she's turning around to Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence turned around saying, when I was about your age, and because she's in Jennifer Lawrence mode, not Miss mode, they look the same age. Yeah. I know they're not, but they look the same fucking age. Sophie Turner, I... From what I've watched of her and stuff, I don't particularly rate her as a She's not performer. very good. She's not very good. But I don't blame her for this because I think Jean's dialogue is shit. A lot of the impact of the character is relying on the audience giving a shit about Jean from other iterations of yeah, the property, yeah. including Famke's performance in the earlier films. And uh, at the same time, imagine, imagine being handed that wardrobe at the start of shooting day. You'd just be like, Really? I hate the 80s. Like, the fuck? Like, they just don't... They don't know Jub- how to Jubilee up. gets fucking neon colours. Scott gets some really flattering kind of, like, plaid and, you know, like, the the, the stuff that just looks really cosy. Like, um, it's just... And then for her, they just dress like a fucking... Oh, God. Sh- the, the script shit, they make mm. her look bad. Um, I don't think she's a particularly great actress and I don't mm. think her accent's good. It's really nasal. So, like... They, they basically sabotage. They take it. <laughs> yeah, sabotage they just sabotage it. her at every turn. And like I say, I don't think she's a brilliant actress. Anyway, she's capable, but I don't think she's brilliant, and not certainly not of the caliber that would, uh, would, would that you would need to sort of overcome all the obstacles that they put in the way. Like they fucking sabotage Sophie Turner at every available opportunity mm. with every part of the production involving her. I just, I, I don't think she's a particularly good cast for Jean either. No, no, no. But I, I think she's <laughs> one. One, she was riding high on Game of Thrones at the time. Well, I've talked about this and before, two, haven't I? What I call the Game of Thrones problem, which is the younger yeah. cast, because they made a mark in that show, were thrust into all these other opportunities, and so many of them have kind of proved since that they're not that great. No. Like, they were perfectly and... cast for those roles, but, you know, as a young performer, you kind of have to spread your wings a bit before you have a range. Like, you've, you've got to play yeah. around, but when you play that one character for a long time, yes, that's going to be a good performance, because you're focusing everything on that. It's like Amelia Clark. I don't particularly think Amelia Clark is brilliant. I don't think Amelia Clark's particularly good, no. You know, I mean, I don't particularly think Kit Harrington's very good. Like, no, I just, it's like uh, all the ones who kind of survived Game of Thrones are the seasoned actors. Like, you know, your Beans, your Dinklages, like they, they, they've they survived it because yeah. they're just great already. And this was them taking on another role and being I think also because Game of Thrones ended so poorly, it's left a bad taste in so many people's mouths <clears throat> that people who hadn't already started to branch out before the end of that show are kind of been buried with it. Yeah. Yeah. Because no one talks about that fucking show anymore. No. Like, no one's talking about revisiting Game of Thrones. It fucked up the ending so badly that people just it don't talk about it anymore. It made people hate the show. Like, here we are, 15 years on, and everyone still is recommending The Wire. People are still talking about yeah. Breaking Bad. The Sopranos exactly. is like, a, you've never watched The Sopranos? I mean, fucking hell, Firefly, one season, still to this day, people are like, no, it's really good, you should watch it. And then blah, blah, blah. Game of Thrones is sort of, oh yeah, I used to watch that. So anyway, did you see Last Christmas? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Geeks did. And I do wonder whether or not the curse, the Game of Thrones effect will continue because we're going to wrap up in a moment, folks, because we've been going a long time. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, emails we're going to cover next week because we've, we've had yeah. a lot to talk about this week. Um, so thank you for your patience. Uh, the next time we do an ex-membrance episode, don't know when, probably soonish, but the next <sighs> time we do hell. one, it'll be a forfer. The next time do we, we gather... Do we want to do a forfer or do we want to break it up into two small Let's ones? Let's do the forfer. Let's just fucking... Let's... That's... That's a lot. It is. It is. But hey, do you really want to give too much time to Dark Phoenix? I don't want to give any time to Dark Phoenix. Exactly. But... So if we can truncate half our time limits in the next one to, to Logan, <sighs> which is the next chronological movie, which I'm delighted. I'm not only am I looking forward to revisiting Logan, I'm going to give it I've got it on Blu-ray. So I'm going to give the uh, the black and white cut a spin this time. Also, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the first one that we'll be doing that we've actually already reviewed on this podcast. Because uh, I didn't yes. watch Apocalypse when it came out. That's true. Deadpool came out just before um, we began the show. And Apocalypse, I think I talked about it, but but we didn't do like a full-on review. I didn't see it at the cinema. I didn't see it until it came out to streaming. Holy shit, guys. We're dip- Well, there you go. They could be shorter discussions because we've already talked about them. So, well, we've talked about Logan and Deadpool two and Dark Phoenix, yeah. Yeah, we can talk about Logan, Deadpool two, um, Dark Phoenix, and oh, just watch Matt Crease. We're gonna see if the Game of Thrones curse carries on when uh, Maisie Williams joins <laughs> the fray as part of the Williams. ensemble cast of the New Mutants. So. Can I say one more thing about about Apocalypse before we go? You can. And is it how dare they cover up Oscar Isaacs, that beautiful, beautiful man? Well, no, no that, is a, that is a point. <laughs> but... <sighs> the whole mansion explosion... Oh, Jesus. Could have been... Like, there's a great idea in there. Like, the, the idea of Quicksilver stepping up and being a hero and saving all these people. Mm-hmm. But because they want to repeat what they did in Days of Future Past and make it funny and cute with a pop song, Hmm. it completely undermines the impact of what he's actually doing in that scene. Yeah, which is he arrives, sees danger, and saves everyone's life that he can, not knowing that Professor X has been teleported away and not knowing that Havoc was in the reactor room. Which is, again, that's a tragic like idea and would work better had Havoc been a player in the last movie and not just a cameo. Because it, it, it would have kept him around as a presence in our minds. Cause yeah, because he, he, he just... would have been one of the only X-Men from the first one to have stuck around. But he's barely developed as a character. He's grown a mullet. He's grown his MacGyver mullet, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Because the actor was in the MacGyver reboot. (laughs) 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 Uh, So that's the last thing I want to say about Apocalypse. I just wanted to say it because it was on my mind when we were watching it. Because I really like the idea of that sequence. Yes. Oh, yeah. And what it it means for Quicksilver as a character. Because I really like Evan Peter in these films. But they just undermine it. By making it a comedy sequence. And I think that is so... That sequence and the way it's handled is so representative of what the problems are with these Fox X-Men movies, um, particularly as Kinberg gets more and more involved. Mm. Although it's not just him. This is also, you know, uh, rapist and director Brian Singer, um, who 
and just they just I want this to be a film where that's made by someone who actually likes and is interested in the material that they're adapting and they're not did I tell you the story about um, Viggo Mortensen auditioning for Wolverine no oh my god hit me so is this back in the day yeah, this is for X Men two thousand. Because uh, yeah, because because Russell Crowe was offered the part, wasn't he? Mm. And he went, "No, I'm a busy and b don't think I'm the spring chicken you you're hoping for." Yeah, for this. yeah. He probably he probably foresaw the weight regimen and was like, "No, but yeah. this guy who I've worked with in musicals is fucking great and would be great at this." Talk to him, this guy. He he offered. But well, they'd also already cast Do Grey Scott by that point. Yes, yes. Because he was announced yes. for it. It was in Wizard. <laughs> and then he had to drop out because of Mission Impossible 2. Great choice. Um, <laughs> but then we got the huge went, Ackman. Who's, so. who's, that, who's that musical guy that Russell recommended? Let's let's get yeah. him in. But yeah, so, so uh, Viggo Mortensen auditioned for the part. Viggo Mortensen auditioned for Wolverine, and he took his son to the meeting, mm-hmm. who was a massive X-Men fan, mm-hmm. like a big comics fan. And had read a bunch of X Men, and when his dad and when Vigo, because Vigo and his, his son are really close. Mm-hmm. If you, which you'll know if you like, have seen any behind the scenes stuff from Lord of the Rings, or if you, or if you've had heard any interviews with him, like he's really, and he's and his son's very involved in like the roles he picks and stuff. Like he always talks to his son about, I'm gonna do this thing that's based on this thing. Have you heard about it? And his son's like, yeah. Just how he got how he got involved in Lord of the Rings. So that's um, they're, they're a double act. They're a, yeah. they're a, they're a tight. He, he, he describes him as he, he describes him as his lucky charm. Oh, goddamn! Um, and so they go into this meeting, and his son's like looking at bits of the script and looking at like the designs they've got, and he's like, "This is, this is all wrong." And he's just so barefaced about it being wrong, hmm. about it being b- a bad adaptation to Brian Singer's face that that Brian Singer just gets completely flummoxed, <laughs> and like. <laughs> and he's like umming and ahhing <laughs> and then it's it's because the kid it's because the kid didn't have the cynical eyes of Hollywood no. at that point he wasn't like and then, he wasn't like yes it should be black leather yes it should yeah. be he's like no where's the where's the costumes where's the where's the colourful display why is Rogue not flying like what's going on <laughs> and then at the end of the meeting he's like do you think is this what you're going to go with do you think you're going to change anything this fucking kid says and Brian Singer's like uh no and then obviously on the way out of the meeting the kid says to Vigo he's like yeah don't do this and Vigo Morrison was already kind of veering on not doing it because he didn't want to become part of like a long running franchise yeah because um, at least with Lord of the Rings it's it's three years and then we're done <laughs> like I'm, yeah. I'm done there and there's yeah. no coming back after that because um, he hasn't done like a franchise other than Lord of the Rings which most of which was filmed in one go yeah with reshoots for the for the releases um. So, <laughs> and he's just and he, so he's like, should, do you think I should do it? It's like, nah. Guy doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I'm like this fucking kid, I'm Brian Singer pegged in fucking 1999. Love it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so Vigo Vigo Mortensen's son gives the true verdict. Um, I remember if he's called. Harry or Henry, but he's called he's Henry. called fucking legend in this house. But yeah, he's he's a fucking <laughs> legend. I absolutely love it. 
Why are we putting ourselves through this? Because y'all requested it. Ian spearheaded it. Thanks for that. But it's been I'm enjoying the retrospective. It's been fun to go back over these with a critical eye, and it's making me appreciate the good stuff more and laugh heartily at the shit heartily. stuff. Um next time we do it, Logan Deadpool 2, uh Dark Phoenix, which is on Disney Plus, thank God. And um New Mutants, which we'll probably have to rent or might be on Disney Plus by the time we do it. We'll get all the Could be somewhere. it could be part of the stars, uh the star upgrade. So Maybe. We'll see. Um, we'll catch you later, folks. Uh, we'll leave you with these these wise words. Um, 20 years ago, on the beach <laughs> in Cuba. Remember 20 years ago? Oh, here's this flashback to when we were 20 years younger. Kiss me, Moira. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Rosebud. Jesus Christ. <laughs> 20 years!